0: they keep on making animated Star Wars, Hope Molinax and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi, a project that began with Clone Wars and now they never end.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast talking about something Star Wars in this episode, the Empire catches up to Cassian, oh, I just smack my microphone, and the Empire catches up to yeah. Cassian and smacks the microphone around us, just like, you know what, go to jail. <laughs> that will be the beginning of the best arc of Andor. Let's get to it. We are talking about Andor episode eight, Narkina five this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. Oh, we're here in the prison arc. Ah!
2: There's only one thing I don't like about this episode, and that's the name of it. It it just doesn't sound, it doesn't, there's no drama to it. They should have picked a little more dramatic name for the planet. That's all I think. Narkina. I guess it has a sort of narcotic, you know, it sort of sounds like narcotics or something. I,
1: for me, actually, one of my notes is I like, which, which I'll get to talking about Melshi, is how it, like, mundane certain things are but they are actually very important things but they're presented in a mundane way i actually had that note a few times then the make episode. it
2: like his prisoner number or something have it be like b172970412 and you know really go into the banality of it you know
1: yeah how are you doing this week good by, by the way this is chris i'm hope hi welcome to hi. our show we're very good at this can't you tell <laughs> yeah, the good been, week so
2: far? I've been actually having fun watching UFO videos for the first time in a long time.
1: Do, do you not have fun watching UFO videos?
2: I mostly don't. I mean, I love UFO stuff, but the fact of the matter is, most UFO stuff sucks and is horrible. So, like, I always have, like History Channel type UFO stuff is garbagey garbage i mean it's entertaining i guess but it isn't to me because it's so just hokey and and just dumb and and then like at least you can get the more like independently made youtubes that are uh, most of those are dumb too but they're more endearingly you know personally dumb. you know i don't know there's they have they have more appeal to them but there's been just real a lot more like the government's been releasing them and there's just been a lot more really good UFO videos coming out because everybody's phone cameras are getting fantastic. And there's finally neat UFO videos that aren't like a lot of the times you, you would see these UFO videos and they'd be like, look at the markings on this video on this UFO And what it would be is someone turned their camera up to a dot of light in the sky and then zoomed it all the way with a digital zoom. Mm -hmm. And and you're just seeing a sort of single pixel of (laughs) the camera. So it always has a sort of like piece of electronics look to it. You know, it'll always have a few like symmetrical lines through it and stuff. And as a filmmaker, I know this person's just zoomed into a pixel. So they're just looking at a white pixel right now, and that's what a pixel looks like on on this camera. Basically, you know, that's not exactly what's happening, but it's what's happening. You're not seeing a spaceship with lines on it. That's like, oh look, it's a perfect octagon. It's like, yeah, no, the 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 smallest element of the picture is a octagon. You know, so there's a lot of those, but there's there was one of like Columbia. These people were coming in for a landing in the plane, and they were in the cockpit. It just whips right by the cockpit, like well, off to the side and does a little turn and, uh, you know, right behind them. And when you freeze frame it, it's like a, it's like out of a Hollywood movie. You know, it's you can see the. the
1: so how many of these are like fake or real?
2: Well, I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing is, is that That's has, the fun of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, you can fake them now obviously it's a lot easier to fake a ufo video but then again there's a lot of dead giveaways to a fake ufo video and there's also like you know some people getting you know if it's over a city multiple people getting the same thing or something like that can help unless you're have all those people faking it too
1: what if the aliens are making fake ufo videos so, so we think that they're all fake but they're really real? This alien's doing it, Chris. Sure,
2: it could be that, too. (laughs) It's just as possible as anything else, you know.
1: (laughs) They're among us.
2: What I love about UFO videos is everybody's just, like, they always come up with something. This is either a mass hallucination or aliens are, you know, visiting us. And it's like, yeah, no, there's about 18 billion other things that it could be, too, you know. There's always that, like, they'll give you two or three it could have just so, taken
1: a wrong turn. And like, you know, like when you get off the wrong, exit on the freeway and they're like, oh, we're at Earth. OK, we'll start around and go back the other way. Yeah.
2: But yeah, there's some there's some neat videos out there of stuff that it's just like, yeah, that looks like a UFO. It looks like it's made of metal. You can almost see rivets on it. And, you know, the sun, it has that like if it was a car going by, you know, it has that same thing of like. It's not just a mushy flash that goes by. It's like, oh, that's a metal UFO, <laughs> a metallic UFO that flew by, you know? Mm-hmm. It almost one of those things where you see it and then like you find out ten minutes later, oh, that was for that was part of a commercial, you know, that somebody clipped out of it or something. But I guess it's not. Uh, I don't care. I just I I'm always happy to have some some new ones that are just like, oh, that's really cool <laughs> instead Aww. of just a, a parade of garbage
1: i i my week's not as interesting the new zelda game came out and i've just been playing tears of the kingdom when i haven't been working
2: yeah that's (laughs) i've seen so many videos of people going like you're so lucky you're getting this video now because i have the new zelda game sitting on my desk and and uh i needed a ride to work for my housemate and i was like hey can i get a ride to work on monday and she's like yeah this was sunday night she goes you might have to wake me up or I'm going to be right here. And I'm like, what? And then I go, did you just, she goes, guess what? I just downloaded. And I'm like the new Zelda game. And she's just There's like, yes.
1: Yeah. Though I, I will say I did have a nice weekend. Um, uh, a, a friend of mine from high school reached out to me and he, like, we were really good friends in high school and we haven't been like connected recently. Um, But he reached out to me about a month ago. And he invited me to his wedding in September. And I was like, you know, I I really miss hanging out with you and stuff. So we actually got together together over the weekend at his house. And I got to meet his wife. And we hung out for a few hours. And it's always that kind of, like, weird fear of, like, when you haven't really seen anybody in, like, 10 years. Like, Uh are they going to be cool or not? Because recently, one of my college friends I just found out was a transphobe, which sucked. So I had to, like, you know. I ended everything there. So I, I like coming off of that, I was like, please still be cool, friend. And he was very cool and and I told him about that. He was like, No, no, like we have a lot of like non binary trans friends. And I was like, Good, thanks for being cool. <laughs> so that was that was a nice thing I did over the weekend, but other than that I'd just been playing Zelda. And then they gave me all their amiibos for Zelda. <laughs> so <laughs> I kept using all their amiibos until I got the uh, the um Zora paraglider. So And and all this means nothing to Chris, but it means things to me. I was just
2: going to say, yeah, uh, that's uh, a
0: different. It's
1: cool to me because Mipha's my girl and she's the best. And yeah, I miss her. She's my girl. Anywho, we have a very long outline ahead of us. I have a lot of things about this episode.
2: I noticed that, yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, you ready to get into this episode?
2: Let's do it.
1: Did you like it?
2: Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> this may this may be my favorite episode. We'll so see. So far we'll see, or in general. We'll see in general. We'll see uh it definitely so far, but this might be my favorite season 1 episode of of Endor.
1: It might be my It's definitely my one of my favorites so far, but I want to see the next two episodes cuz I, I love the ending of next week's episode.
2: Well, that that's the, the thing is I realize these these arcs have, you know, re, you know they resolve and the re, resolution is usually the most satisfying part. But this is this is the like,
1: strongest opening of an arc.
2: This is the point in Andor where all of a sudden it went from being like a pop-up book. To full 3D, like it stepped up a level. It stepped up a level in Andor, and it stepped up a level in Star Wars in general. This this was where it really started, really getting it, getting in there deep. It's it's an amazing it's an amazing episode.
1: Pretty much from here to the end, it's just amazing TV.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Straight out. All right, you ready? I am. Andor episode 8, Narkeena 5, aired on October 26, 2022. It was written by Bo Willman. oh, uh, I'm sorry, Bo Williman, and it was directed by Toby Haynes. Some extra information for you. Listen, there are a shit ton of people in this episode. <laughs> There's a lot of people, and you're all very super talented, and you're all doing great in your 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 roles, and I'm just going to fly through just the very most important people, because I don't need to say who played Random Guard number four, but I just want you all to know, you're all super talented actors, and you did some good work. Great work, everybody. Okay, now that that's out of the way. Corv, the Imperial officer working under Dedra, While interrogating uh, Cyril, uh, he's the dude that will eventually be the undercover guy on Ferex in the next few episodes. He is played by Nuf Osalem, and he is in Seven Days to Entebbe and the Tom Cruise version of The Mummy. Duncan Powell reprises his role as Ruskot Melshi. Melshi was Cassian's right-hand man in Rogue One, and he led the ground assault on Scarif. He was shot and killed shortly before the Death Star fired on Scarif. And a fun story about Duncan Powell, he actually wasn't supposed to be in Rogue One. He was a tech person on the film, and he was working with the casting director. But when the role of Melshi just happened to come up, the casting director was like, hey, Duncan, you should audition for this role. And Duncan was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then he got the role in Rogue One, and now he gets to play his character again here. And I just thought that's a really cool story because I love Melshi. Kino Loy is played by the amazing Andy Serkis. He was Emperor Snoke in the sequel trilogy, and not and no, this does not mean that Kino will eventually become Snoke. Plenty of people play multiple roles in Star Wars. A lot of people do that. Aiden Cook, who I'm about to say in a minute, he has already played three roles in this show alone. <laughs> it's fine. He is not Snoke. Olaf is played by the legendary Christopher Fairbanks from the Guardians of the Galaxy series, Batman and The Fifth Element. Forrest Whitaker and Aiden Cook both reprised their roles from Rogue One as Sal Guerrero in Two Tubes. Luke Okay, here's the slip. Here we go. <clears throat> Lieutenant K6 is played by Nick Moss. Ham is played by Clement Schiff. Jim Buck is played by Brian uh, Bavel. Taga is played by Tom Reed. Zal is played by Joseph Davies. Burnock is played by Rask uh Kukoyi. And finally Zinska is played by Minsa Bediaka. Woo! Essentially, that's the table. The table where casting works. It's all those guys. So, yeah. And then everybody else, uh, you did a really good job in your roles. I'm not reading out your thing. Good job. <laughs> uh, you know who's also really good at what he does?
0: Ruh, many things Yoda does.
1: You're good at a lot of things, Yoda. You know, after 800 years, you learn how to do a lot of good things.
0: Lots of good things, yes.
1: Outside of your normal Jedi things, what would you say you're the best at?
0: Yeah, um, what is Yoda best at?
1: Yeah, like outside of Jedi stuff, like you're like like knitting, like what what racing, uh, uh keeping frogs.
0: Oh, well, Yoda was always very good at the Malastare basket trick. Yes.
1: What's the Malastair basket trick?
0: Ask Mama Hut. The most most difficult to perform basket trick with
1: what what is y- the basket Yoda
0: has done many times never heard of the basket
1: trick no i know oh. i actually have no idea what you're
0: talking about oh yoda does not know if yoda should <laughs> <laughs> never heard of spinning basket basket, basket hangs from ceiling hmm.
1: Basket trick, sexual, and you, uh, (laughs) endo.
0: Malastare basket trick.
1: No. Malastare.
0: Ah, yes. Your internet knows a lot about Malastare, Yoda is sure.
1: Anyway, I have a question for you, Yoda. (laughs) Mm. Um,
0: Enter to change the subject.
1: Yeah, yeah. So today our question actually comes from our friend Gene Gene the podcast machine the Mm -hmm. the, the podcast wow words the podcasting Mm -mm. machine.
0: Many podcasts Gene listens to.
1: Yes, yes. And he does a lot of the d-d- d- d- d d does.
0: Gene.
1: I'm gonna do my best to do my Gene Tendrix voice. You ready?
0: Yoda is ready for question for Yoda.
1: Yoda! What are your Favorite things to do to pass the time on Dagobah. That was a little too epic, but you know what? It's
0: yeah, yes, man, many, Yoda does many things in Dagobah to pass the time. Many, many um, activities and yes, important activities and fun activities. Yes, Yoda does.
1: Like what?
0: Um... Yoda uh, makes things and Yoda goes places and um, does things.
1: You're being suspiciously not specific.
0: Yoda's on internet most of the time.
1: There it is. <laughs> there it is. Well, I uh, like
0: doing hope- things and going places. Internet is yes everything you, at you the top of internet. yoda's hands
1: you can do internet at the library the internet's free there
0: Yoda's not allowed in library anymore
1: yoda you're not allowed in the libraries at dagobah
0: no misunderstanding, Are you allowed in any libraries? misunderstanding at library system for yoda no more uh-huh. yoda. no more library for yoda
1: Mhm. Ever
0: ever your- seen videos of ears ears getting cleaned? Yoda's watching those lately.
1: Mm, is that how you learned your little basket trick?
0: Um, yeah.
1: Okay, I don't know what you're talking about. Go on, out of here. Get out of here. We got a lot to talk about today. <sighs> yeah. I literally don't know what he's talking about.
2: Yeah, I know. Hope you're you're you you you're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> right now, Charles is just sitting somewhere, going just like it's just like the poppers. She's.
1: I know. I'm having like a like a like ace brain at the moment. Like, what is it?
2: She's seen like a carnival game where they have a uh, like baskets and people are throwing ass apples in them and stuff.
1: Uh-huh.
2: But it's it's not like that.
1: Okay.
2: Let's just say there there's a basket suspended from the ceiling.
1: Okay.
2: By rope. Okay. And that basket has a hole in the bottom of it.
1: Okay. Start,
2: starting to get my drift, okay? And say, say you had like a little Yoda there, and and like you got him all bare naked, and you laid him down on his back underneath the basket. Okay. With the hole in the bottom of it. Okay. Are we starting to put this together? And you put, there. you put Mama head in Mama hut in the basket oh
1: the head goes into the basket no no
2: the whole body goes the the mama hut sits in the basket
1: okay that makes sense all
2: right in in yoda's case i imagine he'd be using the force to lower the basket <laughs>
1: okay okay i'm starting to get okay I right got there's
2: it. rope so the basket can spin
1: ow Hi, I got I, it now. I got it. I got yeah, it. Yeah, I and didn't I, want I, to. Uh,
2: like, yeah, nobody wanted to come to this. Hope.
1: <laughs> <My sex. laughs> I have officially taken notes. I'm good. I am learning. Thank you all for letting me learn, because I'm just in here going, okay. I love how we, whenever I have these stupid moments, we drag Charles into this mess. <laughs> all right. Anyway, let's talk about Andor yes are you ready to get into act one
2: this could be yes act one of what could possibly be chris's favorite episode of andor
1: i have to say charles i'm sorry we drag you into this every time i have a stupid person moment thank you for being patient (laughs) anyway (laughs) act one he
2: doesn't have to write in he drags himself in
1: (laughs) that's true he could just not listen he chooses to be (laughs)
2: here the the cat dragged himself in
1: Ah, uh, anyway. Act one. act one. Yeah. So a little recap from last week's episode: the uh, empire was like, "Hey, nerd, what happened in Aldhani sucks, so we're gonna make all these new rules called P O R D, and this P O R D thing is gonna really be sucky, and we're gonna make jails suck and uh, have a lot of new laws and, and massive government overreach." And Cassian and Mon Mothma were both like, "Oh no!" But Cassian got caught at Space Florida and is now going to jail because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time and he got stopped in first by Sam Whitworth. Okay, now we're all caught up. So we open! Cassian go to jail! And uh, he's in a line as he's being assigned to a transport and he's big scared and big confused because he's just like, uh, I was just going to go get uh, snacks. Why am I here? Excuse me, Mr. Uh, Stormtrooper, and the Stormtrooper's like, you're going to Narkeena 5. And Cassian's like, why am I going to the title of the episode? And, and the stormtrooper's like, you'll see. And they ship him on off. Now, what's important is as he's being shipped off, ah, the guard is very specific. And it's just like, you have to take off your shoes. And all the prisoners are like, okay. And he's like, this is a really big part of the story. And the prisoners are like, okay. So Cassian arrives at Norkina 5. And he, that's when the, oh shit, I'm really going to jail moment sets in for him. And they land, and all the prisoners come outside, and the guards are standing there with 90s moon shoes. And the 90s moon shoes guys are like, Look at our shoes. Aren't they cool? Hi, we're evil. And the prisoners are like, Yes, we understand that. Why are you wearing moon shoes? And they're like, This is why. And they hit a button, and the floors are electrified. <laughs> so the prisoners don't wear shoes, so they can get electrocuted. And the guards are like, Ha that's fun. Anyway, welcome to jail. And they all escort Cassie inside. Meanwhile cyril is trying to break out of a prison of his own making mainly made by his mom but he is doing what he can because he's at his job and he's making all these reports and he gets the attention of the isb and so they drag cyril into a little room and cyril is just like what am i doing here and dedra kicks in the door and she's like hi i'm dedra and cyril is just like p- uh, p- uh, hi 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 pretty lady you want to Oh, do you want to do, do, do a fascism with me? And she's just like, oh, <laughs> oh, you're one of those. Okay. Hi. Um, so apparently you've been flagging the ISV five times about some dude named Cassian under false reports. And you're trying to get someone to look into him. And Cyril is like, yes, ma'am, I am because he murdered people and I, it was wrong. And she's like, oh, so you're wanting to clear your name? And he's like, nope, I just want to serve the Empire and Lady justice. And Dedra's like, yeah, I don't have time for this. Here, read this thing from Blevin, and I'll be back for you. And she walks out, because she has a super important meeting to go to. Because she goes to a meeting with Partigaz and Yularen. And Yularen is just like, hi, Dedra! And she's like, hi, everybody! So, this is a Star Path unit, it was started by Cassian, and Cassian has ties to a place, a guy named Axis. What we don't know is Axis is actually Luthen Rail, and maybe Claya <laughs> We'll see, that's debatable. But, we don't know it's him. But that's what this big meeting about. And part of Gaz is just like, look at my little protege, look at her go, let me go, she's doing so good! And Yvonne is like, I don't know, you're not really INSPIRING me. With all this, this is a long laundry list, uh, but what do you want to do with this? And she's like, I am going to find Cassian Andor. If we find Cassian Andor on Ferrix, we will find Axis. Bum, bum, bum. But after the meeting, she goes back to Cyril, and Cyril is like, How you read Bluffin's report? This sucks. And she's like, I know. What don't we know about Axis? And Cyril's like, I just heard his voice. I don't really know anything about him. And Detra's like, okay, Bye. And she was like, no, don't you dare go. What the hey, hey, young lady, hot lady, my lady, don't go. I was a good cop. I was very good at what I did. I shouldn't be punished and stuff like that. And you need Andor. I can tell you need Andor. And I have been staring at his picture in my bedroom for hours for the last week, like months. I've been staring at it for months. She's just like, oh, okay. I'm really leaving now. Hurt, keep him away from me. Bye. And she leaves. And he's like, no, don't leave. And she's like, back the fuck off, dude. Or you're gonna have more than my foot up your ass. And like Cyril just mouth breathes some more because he's just like, that sounds nice. <laughs> End of Act One.
0: Damn, hope
2: <laughs> that was a that was a good that was a good mouth breather. Ah, nice.
1: <sighs> Listen. <laughs> I used to work at a comic book store. <laughs> no, actually, that that's a horrible stereotype. I, I actually never came across anybody like that at my comic book store. I came across assholes, but never a mouth breather. They were always super lovely and stuff, so. um, I, I know I'm going to ask you to go first, but I want you to know my very first note here says, ask Chris about all the THX 1138 references, because I've never seen the movie. <laughs> there isn't
2: anything... Super direct with THX 1138 because it's sort of a different thing. It's sort of a different take. Uh, It's more of a like 1984. um,
1: This is more of just like the style and the look, right? It's not like an actual
2: yeah. The all white, all white. The the rows and rows and rows of people working at desks is also very Terry Gilliam like Brazil sort of style except brazil is has the sets have personality these are the more sterile like thx 1138 but thx 1138 is just like yeah like complete visual sterility and you know complete zombified medicated you know corporate life like everybody's just gobbling their medication every day and they can go they, they if they if they start feeling weird they can go to a booth that gives them canned you know a computer counselor type thing which was more which was more of a uh that got referenced in the last season of uh Mandalorian in season 3 of Mandalorian with the robot counselor but uh oh yeah you're right but the the atmosphere and the the music and it's it's more of almost like a little bit of the visual, it's just a flavor of THX 1138. There's no like out and out like Easter egg reference to it, but it's there. It's definitely there. And like as soon as, soon as I saw the all white sets, that was, Some sometime we'll watch THX 1138 for a
1: now that we're done with like all the movies and stuff and well we'll have eight indiana jones to do come december but we had talked about like doing like the movies that inspired it like um what's it called uh like the the kurosawa movies and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um but i kind of would like to do like maybe the kurosawa movies and also like th 1138 so that'd be fun
2: american graffiti would be fun too have you ever seen american graffiti
1: you know the answer to that
2: it's a great movie. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's the only, like, it's got, it, George Lucas directed it, it's got great dialogue, it's got great acting in it, you know, it's it doesn't feel like a George Lucas movie until, like, the cars are driving around and racing and stuff. And it's also first appearance of Harrison Ford, <laughs> driving, driving around with Mackenzie Phillips in the front seat of his car, like a 13-year-old Mackenzie Phillips.
1: Aww. Wait, wait, wait! I shouldn't say. Oh, is it is it gross? I was like,
2: Aw. no, not super gross. It could have been a lot grosser for the time period it's from, but it's not that kind of movie. It's it's a it's a through a a, a happy prism of you know a nostalgic prism for of the fifties. Gotcha. All right, I love the music in this episode.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: the opening theme starts it all out all twisted and then like th- like this is this is the first star wars that i'm gonna say is flat out science fiction this this is a like science fiction idea science fiction execution science fiction music very daft punk and, and when, once the show starts get, getting going i i i love it it, it Takes And and the music is very, like, weird, like, goes off key and gets all weird all the time. I love that, you know, the guards show up in these absurd, they they look like...
1: They look like 90s moon boots.
2: Or they, they look like ski boots, like, you know, like, yeah, 90s ski boots. And they're absurd. They're goofy looking. And you can see the people going, like, what the hell is... <laughs>
1: They they literally look like the like the moon shoes they used to sell like as toys when I was a kid.
2: Yeah, it's like what are these? What are these? You know, yeah. And you're putting it together along with them. And meanwhile, and the guy who comes to talk to him. Is this twisted? He,
1: oh, he's having it. I I wrote. I actually have a note. I said it's gross how giddy the guard is before he demonstrates the floor shocking system.
2: He loves it. He's got that. He's having
1: the best time.
2: Yeah, and and have you ever seen Monty Python's Life of Brian?
1: I've seen bits and pieces of it, but never the whole way through.
2: He's he basically Caesar from Caesar had the same lisp, you know, we Brian. <laughs> But this guy's got the like speech impediment and he, he you can tell he's like I'm getting revenge on the west of the world <laughs> for making fun of me in in space high school. And yeah, he's just like he's loving it. He has a speech and he's but it's all about just seeing everybody like squirm on the floor. He, you can just see his jaw like going like mm yum 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 yum. yum.
1: The closer he gets to the demonstration He starts smiling more Like he knows it's coming And I'm just like dude You can't wait You can't
2: wait Well these next few episodes Are about how like In the early phases of the empire All the fucking Freako like sickos Are like going like Excuse me Palpatine I have an idea for interrogating prisoners I have a new uh, Incarceration idea (laughs) It's, it's it actually works really evil. well.
1: Huh? It works really well in context with like the Bad Batch because we have Doctor Hemlock in the Bad Batch and he's essentially yeah. Yosef Mangala. Yeah, yeah. And,
2: like
1: so, like it actually works really well in that same context because like you know Hemlock would be like, oh yeah, I dig those floors. Can I have some too?
2: Well, what I love about this episode is, for, for before this, and mostly like in Clone Wars is where we'd see this. Sometimes you'd see it in a comic or something, but somebody's a prisoner of the Empire, right? You're going to rescue them, or you're going to like they're getting, like um, like Mayfield actually. Mayfield's a perfect example of it. Um, in the in the Mandalorian, uh, Bill Burr's character, when mm-hmm. they go to get him to take him on on a mission, it's always the same. It's like. Robots or or guards with some sort of space whip or you know shock prod and they're and you're and they're chopping rocks you know it's right out of a movie you know it's they're they're in the mines chopping rocks you know they're doing hard labor and this totally is a prison of the mind and uh, it's twisted it's it's twisted. It's brutal, but it's brutal from efficiency rather than just like you are living in like <laughs> in a cave and in chopping rocks.
1: Yeah, I I have some thoughts of, in that same vein, but they're in my act two notes. But I so I but I don't disagree with you. You are very much correct.
2: Yeah, it's 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 the next level, and it it it's it's a subversion of expectations of what. I almost like expected when we came back to this episode, the first time through it would be Cassian getting out of jail and like a couple years had passed and he was in jail, you know, and he got out and now he's like a little more hardened, but this was way more brilliant and the way they set it up, it makes it perfect for telling all sorts of several different stories and, you know, several different fundamental things about how how fascism works and how people react to it you know and uh, yeah. and and human reaction to it and they and it's a very very it's just a brilliant way of doing it cuz it's it's a we, it's an original idea but it's not too contrived or goofy it's it's perfect it's it's just you know some some real like this is a mixture of like Tw- the twisted Mangala style plus somebody who's like just an efficiency nerd and it's it makes it more way more evil than the you know than the spice mines of Kessel or whatever oh yeah
1: and and one of the things I wrote down is like I love the whole opening scene from from the moment Cassian arrives to the time he goes to sleep at that night like we're constantly in his POV and because of that like as you said earlier, like, he's confused. The audience is confused. He's We're discovering things along with him. And it makes it, like, more brutal and shocking. And, like, one of like the most haunting things is, like, at the end of the workday where they're standing in that line, he's just staring ahead, and he looks so stunned. <laughs> and we are on that ride with him. And so a lot of the times, like, when we're in Cassian, these scenes with Cassian, like, they're very close to him while other scenes with, like, Luthan, like, Mon Mothman, like, there's a little bit more distance. But because we're in Cassian's POV, V, going through Narkina with him, like, it allows the audience to discover things with him as well. So it makes it more impactful, like, almost as if, like, we're feeling these atrocities, too.
2: I mean, I've been incarcerated, so I know that feeling, that stunned feeling. So, like, there, there's a lot of 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 that, you know, in my you know, viewing experience of this of this particular whole arc. It gets the, the, the feeling like this place like it feels more like a combination of uh, hospital and sanatorium, you know, than than a prison. Especially with the shoes off. That feels very hospital sanatorium style. You know their quarters are very that they're like dimly lit like a like a hospital ward at night. It's just super creepy. their only reward is flavor. you get your flavor yep. you get to you get a brief little brief little jaunt into flavor town and then back on the line <laughs> you didn't see Guy Fieri coming did you?
1: presence is being like, welcome to Town, everybody! It's like, what you say of us?
2: Yeah. I, I, I really like uh, the, the idea. Diners,
1: driving in of, of, to fives.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, and Guy Fieri just being very crappy at his job there and being like, can I get a job at the commissary? No.
1: Please, when you make the artwork for this, put it like Guy Fieri on it.
2: I'll, I'll see what I can do.
1: And and that way. I don't know if I want to do that say.
2: to my favorite episode.
1: <laughs> he just has to be like the like the bottom, like licking his lips or something. He's like, yeah. Oh jeez.
2: Like watching like him, a really, sizzle, watching like, him serious... sizzle on the ground. That's how oh. we do it here in Flavor Town.
1: Like get... you can have a picture of like Cassie and all of them being shocked, and like Guy Fury is just like, yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh,
1: Jesus. <laughs> just to see if people
2: get confused. <laughs> Dude, they'll get confused. Don't worry. <laughs> until right about even... until about this point in the recording, then they'll go like, oh, okay, so now they're talking. About, okay. Anyway, that's all my notes for part one. Oh my God. <laughs> no,
1: be... Guy Fieri. I am looking
2: at pictures of Guy Fieri. Oh
1: my gosh. There's Oh, like, there's
2: plenty. There's yeah. There's so there's many pictures whatever, of Whatever. need. Which one of these is
1: perfect for cassian while they're dying.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be great. They're all perfect, basically. There's
1: one of uh, him just giving thumbs up, and he's just like, "Yeah," He's <laughs> like a comic book person. <laughs> anyway, let me not look at pictures of Guy Fieri. Um, my, uh, my very probably simplest note of this entire episode. You ready for it? Mm. I hate Cyril's tie. Oh
2: yeah, that weird. It looks like, it looks like you could. It looks like it rolls up into his shirt and you, mm-hmm. you you pull it down like a like a window shade, you know. You just he just pulls it down and hooks it to the bottom of his shirt and then like every once in a while it'll pop out. and go flat, flat 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 back. Yeah, it's weird looking.
1: Like I usually have no problems with like Star Wars costume design, but there's something about that tie that just looks. It doesn't look Star Warsy. It just it looks and I think it's because it looks like generically science fiction.
2: Well, a tie is not something you see in Star Wars, a tie, you know, there's people have like they dress, you know, a modern business tie type of thing. You'll see people with like scarves and robes and capes and stuff like that. But just like even even like the even like drones and like a, a thing would be in like a sort of one piece suit or something.
1: Yeah, but I feel like an actual, like, real-world tie would look better than whatever the fuck that was coming up Oh, well, I
0: I
2: think... Well, remember, they've been establishing that he likes to, like... He likes to make himself stand out by, like, adapting his uniform.
1: Yeah, but now he looks like a nerd. Yeah,
2: they always end up... That's how they always end up looking like, you know? The, the, The guys are like, I'm working on my, like super cool uniform that i've designed all myself and then they get it together and they're in it and they're just like "Mm, yeah and everybody's just like (coughs) okay dude (laughs) yeah so I think there's an element of that. I think it's not supposed to look right and it's not supposed to it doesn't it look it's like an uncanny valley thing where it looks a little bit like an earthy type earth like type of thing, but at the same time it doesn't in all the wrong ways.
1: It looks far too sci fi for Star Wars, which is well, weird to the, say.
2: Well, this episode is going real sci fi, so maybe you're yeah. pushing that aesthetic.
1: Maybe, but I, I fucking hate that you don't, like don't
2: like it. <laughs> I the want tie. to rip it off and so throw it away. Noted.
1: But, but that's probably my most shallowest note of this, and so time <laughs> for the bigger ones. Um, I'm going to come back to this point again with Mon Mothma, but there's a theme of people being trapped in their own kind of prisons throughout this episode. And, of course, yeah. like the very obvious one is is Cassian. But Cyril is also in a prison in his own way, And a lot of that is very thematically linked, of course, to Cassian. Like, when he is being interrogated by Dedra, the colors of where uh, Cyril is in the interrogation room is very similar to the prison being used by Cassian. Um, And they're both trying to escape these prisons that have been set up for them by any means possible. Put a pen in this. I will come back to this with Mon Mothma. But that is very much a theme of this episode. I love the irony... (laughs) That Deirdre and the ISB are looking for Cassian and the Empire has that and they have no
2: idea yes yeah actually I missed that and I had that note too that like he's he's probably in the safest place he could be right now in a jail with a different name mm-hmm. you know at the, at the height of them looking for him that you know up to this point you know he's tucked away right under their nose in the last place they're gonna know too right right under their noses
1: it's one of my favorite like low-key things with that um i do have written down i know there are instances of science fiction becoming fact and technology that we use today um let's please not ever make electrified floors in prisons science reality please thank you Cause that's horrifying
2: face off had a sort of similar prison in it, but it was like mag- you had to wear mat- boots with metal in them and it would magnet. Like when they had a lockdown, they would just like, boom, lock everybody down and they would be magnetized to the floor. <laughs> I don't remember if they had like a, a fry the floor option. They might've though in that too. Mm. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, just a, yeah.
1: I do think Cyril's ploy is a really smart one, even though it doesn't, immediately work for him like he is using the system that's been given to him to try to escape this and just the idea of just like let me just file false reports with Cassian's name someone's gonna notice I'm gonna keep filing Cassian's name until somebody gets me I'm sure filing false reports is not within the rules of the law which I find very interesting for his character because he's wasting everybody's time doing this but also, like, it's the only means he has to reach out and be like, someone, please listen to me. So in a way, it is a tiny little rebellion for him. Yeah. Uh, oh, so Monday, uh, mundane items and mundane introductions. Let's start with the mundane item, because I'll come back to the mundane introductions in Act 2. I love how in this series, very important items are treated like everyday occurrences and everyday items and there's no like special focus on them and so in this first and what I'm referring to in act one is the star path unit the star path unit shows up in like episode three it's like not important it's just this thing that Cassian is like Luthan buy this. And like no and then they leave it behind and like so for Cassian this item is like nothing it was a means to an end he left it behind it's fine but for Dedra. It's a very important item. This star path unit is the reason she's able to do everything. Yeah. It is the reason she can rise in the ranks. That's the reason she goes to Ferex. It's the reason she gets Ferex. But it, it's treated with no bells and whistles. And I really like that because it's easy for, like, Star Wars to be like, when Cassian pulls out the Star Path unit, for Star Wars to be like, da na 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 it's the Star Path unit. Um, and, like, they're really good about that. But I like how Tony Gatoror is just like, no, it's a thing. But then it's a very important thing the whole way through. <laughs> and uh, and i will get more into this with Moshi, but I, it's just one of these things that I really love about Andor, that they handle items and people like this, so... You know what? Uh, Pardigaz reminds me of as a character. Uh This is like Dedra's boss. Here, I,
2: he, I already know this because I'm looking at your note, but
1: he reminds me of Lauren in Rebels. And what I mean by that is like Yularen here in this show is very much a, like a higher up. How much can we squeeze the life out of them? Blah blah. blah. But like in Rebels, he's very nurturing towards Callus, and he's just like, "You were my best student." Thrawn let me tell you about how great Callus was. Look at him; he's he's our guy. <laughs> like, he's like really like this is my student, this is my protege. Well, I trained him.
2: He was sort of extending the same courtesy to Pardigas as Pardigas was extending to Dedra. You know what I mean? He was like yeah. sort of like you could tell he's like, all right, this guy's going out on a limb for this, but like you know, I I I like his style. You know, it, it seems yeah. like I, I I he might have something here. So.
1: You have these moments, like, with here, like, the moment that Dedra, like, is not quite getting across to, like, Yularen. Like, Party has slides in there, like, look at my girl. Yeah. She's doing great. She's great. We should listen to her. Do the thing. And he reminds me of Ylarin in that way. And I and I don't.
2: Well, he was just ba- I, almost basically just giving her a vote of confidence there for y- y- Lauren, going, like, yeah, I, I know what she's talking about. And, you know, let me put that a little better way.
1: Yeah, but he has, like, this moment, like, where she's just talking, and, like, he's not, it's not a creepy way, let me just say, this is not creepy, but he's just, like, smiling watching her, like, he, like, looks so proud, like, look at her go, and I just, it's stuff like that that I find and like, this next note, too, which I find really interesting about the show is how they handle the villains, and they make them very empathetic, um because the relationship between, like, Dedra and Hurt, and, like, Dedra and Partagaz, like, these are very real human relationships, like, these are flip these on the good guy's side. Like this is the kind of like relationship like Canaan would give to Ezra, like mentoring him and like raising him and stuff like that. Like it's just gives it a very great quality that you have these like very human relationships, but it's just done in a way that how it's like skewed between a, how a good guy has these relationships versus the bad guys, which brings me to Cyril. Cause I do think, and I still feel this way from season, the first three episodes that Cyril, is written purposely to have a lot of empathy cuz he is a victim in a lot of ways of his situation. He got fucking screwed over. Yeah, he messed up, but he also got screwed over by corruption and well,
2: and he like got people... he got screwed over by benefit of who his parents were, his family yeah. style, like he's he's twisted from from childhood, you know.
1: Absolutely. And it's one of those things that like if Cyril he has these moments of grayness where, like, when he yells at Dadra, like, I was good at my job. I did my job. I, and I feel that, too, man. As somebody who is me currently at my work, I followed the fucking girls and I'm getting punished for other people's shit. That's going on with me. So I feel that was for Cyril. Like, that's a very empathetic thing, like, that I feel for him. And it's, it's just so interesting that Cyril could have very easily been radicalized the other way. You know, yeah. he's... He's he doubling been down. So,
2: Guerrero, though, he would have, huh? but he still would have been crazy and like obsessive and up his own ass. So he would have been more Saw like, I think.
1: Yeah, but, but
2: if he was he, in the rebellion.
1: Yeah, I I don't disagree, but like he's he could have easily, and like, this is like why he's like the other side of the coin from Cassian, because this series is about both of these men being radicalized, but they're being radicalized in different ways and going down different paths. And but but I just I find that like really fascinating about how the show treats its villains, where Dedra has been this character where like yay like you know beat the boys you got this girl, and then starting this episode the moment like she drags Dix into the room you're just like oh no Detra, no <laughs> you are a villain oh god please stop Detra, no, and like that's a, that's a really interesting way about how they write these characters. They're not like the mustache twirling villains of Star Wars that we're used to. Like there are so many layers. That in different circumstances they could have gone different ways, and and vice versa. Like, what world could maybe like Cassie have been radicalized run- into the empire? Well, <laughs> they know? allow somebody, he,
2: they, they allow somebody to be human, a character to be humanized. Bef- all,
1: all the characters. Before
2: we see know. them as a monster, that we don't we don't see Dedra or or Cyril start to become really monstery until they've been fully humanized to us. So. That's yes. kind of a modern thing. That's kind of a modern thing, but it's used to really good effect in this, you know, like different than like something like, say, Dexter or something, you know, where you're 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 empathizing with a serial killer, you know?
1: Yeah, we actually I've had this very same conversation about um, and Rice vampires with Megan because we've been doing <laughs> vampire stuff. Them vampires are doing awful yeah. things. Yeah, I mean... You have, like, Lestat and Louis and all these, like, and like Armand and Daniel and, like, and, and Marius and all these vampires. Vampires are fucking serial killers. Like, that's yeah, what they are. Yeah, they're, they're like,
2: sociopaths, yeah.
1: But they have to be to survive. And it's, like, yeah. where is the line? Like, they kill every night and they're silly, serial killers, but where's the line when they have to do it? It's it's either kill or die, you know? Um, But in the end, you're still... So, like, when people, like, are debating the morality of vampires, you're, like, you, there's always a silver lining of... They're also serial killers, <laughs> and so it's it's just a really interesting thing that I really love about the show of how they humanize their villain to the point like so many like I'm gonna get into this See, one like
2: the the vampires not to sidetrack on the vampire thing but like the whole vampires they have to eat to survive thing I stop feeling any sympathy to that past when they go past like a human lifespan. Because it's like, okay, you lived your, you, you, you you've lived a, a life, and probably a more interesting life than most people. You can go take a take a walk in the in the sunrise, you know, or whatever, you know. At, at some point, you're just you're killing just to maintain like artificial eternal life. So,
1: what's So what's to, to also tangent slightly? What's really interesting about the Anne Rice vampires is they teach going after evildoers, but like. How do you justify like what a death sentence is of an evildoer?
2: Like right, that that was a lot of um that was a lot of um Dexter too, but I like Dexter because they, you sympathized with him and they were like oh well he's a serial killer who only kills other serial killers and horrible people, but as time goes on he's killing like people who haven't done anything who are like in danger of like exposing him and stuff so it, it like keeps it, it it keeps the goalposts keeps keeps you moving. sympathetic but they yeah but they keep moving and they keep like making this guy even more and more evil as it goes along and stuff like that but i like this better because this is just more like just sort of almost documentary and it's showing of like the psychology of it it's not it's not over the top or, and it's not there to just like see if they can get You narratively along with an evil person. It's 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 all everything is everything in this is for a reason, and like another reason I think this might be my favorite is, this has a million little clockwork pieces starting up in it, and like I know how where they all go, and none of them are dumb dead ends or something that they like forgot about or gave up on. Everything just like everything's going and everything connects to each each other.
1: I mean, if if we want to go on the opposite side, I i can't remember if it's Act 2 or Act 3, but in one of the later acts, I also go off about Sinta. She's a hero, and she's, like, just as cruel as yeah. some of the empires. But, like, she's cruel because she has to yeah. use her tactics. Like, yeah. I still stand by that she killed those people on Aldani. I I'm positive she is. Like I'm ninety-nine point nine percent she I put money on it. She yeah, goes on no, oh, no,
2: Donnie. No, yeah, her character is processing some horrible shit in this episode.
1: Yeah, and out of all these people, Cinta has a higher body count than Cyril. She probably has a higher body count than uh Deirdre at this moment. Like and she's and she's the good guy.
2: Yeah, no, of almost anybody in this Yeah, actually.
1: So it's just it's really interesting um, because how they humanize villains and lean heroes towards villains. Like, like I don't want to say villainize heroes because it's not that extreme, but they definitely pour them all into a big pool of gray and just throw them all in there. Yeah. <laughs> so. But that's all I have for Act Two or Act One. Where Act are we? One.
2: Have- so now it's Act Two
1: yes uh y'all ready for it
2: i'm ready for it
1: actually let me get some water because mm. we got to hydrate or dehydrate, bitch all right <clears throat> act two so cassie into prison and he gets a crash course on prison life and the guards are like hi this is what on program means put your hands in your head and keep your feet on the floor and look forward and we're gonna tell you stuff like walk stop walk walk two inches two inches to your left no that's too many oh 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 uh, well we'll let it go this time ha, ha 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 and like as this is all happening like Cassian is watching everything and he is noticing every little thing and very importantly that the guards are short staffed and the guards are like alright well we're all here now because Steve was busy on floor number four and Steve was like look look I'm here now let's go and they're like, okay, so they open the door, and they're like, this is your floor. You're gonna go to that guy right there. Goodbye. have fun in prison. And they leave Cassian, and they hand him over to Kino boy. And Kino walks up, and he's just like, hi. And Cassian's like, oh my god, you're Andy Serkis. I loved you in Lord of the Rings. And Andy is just like, Oh, that's really nice, thank you. Well, <laughs> I'm Kino here, and unlike Gollum, I will choke you, uh, you. I will choke you and beat you with a fish to get my precious. And my precious is to make sure that this room runs well. And if you cannot meet my precious, I will kill you. <gasps> okay, Capish, welcome. <laughs> and Kino is just like, listen, I'm almost done with my sentence, and this is how this works. Our floor is in competition with all the other floors, and all these tables are in competition with, your, with each other. This is your table. Get along with them. And if you don't do good, well, again, I'll beat you with a fish and choke you out because this is my precious. Have fun. <clears throat> and Kathleen gets assigned to a table. And here's the thing. Everybody at this table is really cool. Everybody at this table is really nice. But at this table, there are only two really important people that you need to know for the story. Number one is the old man, Olaf. The other one is Ruscat Milchi. <laughs> so because Ruscat Milchi will eventually be Cassian's BFF later in Rogue One. I got a burp. Ugh. Anyway, so those are the two really two important guys that you need to know. Everybody else at this table is cool. And so the table team starts running Cassian through the process of how to build this, like, mystery thing. And Cassian is like, cool. But within a few minutes despite it being Cassian's first day, and their table being a man short, they have to do a sprint segment to the end, which means they're all gonna lose, and Cassian's just watching all this going, fuck. Meanwhile, on the other side of the galaxy, my Mothma is throwing a fancy party, and she needs votes to help stop Palpatine's overreach, and Perrin's with her, and Perrin's like, alright, what's the plan? And she's like, be rich and famous and get me votes, and he's like, I can do that. And Tay shows up, and Tay's like, hi, everybody. And Perrin's like, hi, person. Oh, we're friends and stuff. Hi, Perrin. And they all are like, ha, 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 we're so rich. Good thing we're not in a prison. Ha, 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 Anyway, once Perrin is gone, uh, Tay is like, so, ma, hello. And she's like, hi, did you help me with my thing? And he's like, I can't get money to you because, you know, the Empire is doing this whole, like, PRD thing, and it's really hard to move money. And Lita comes over, and Lita's like, You! You're here a lot. <laughs> and Tay's like, Yeah, I am. Nice to see you again, Lita. And Lita's like, Cool, don't bang my mom. And then she walks away. Amon's like, Anyway, so I have this, I, 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 I need to find $400,000. And Tay's like, Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what if I can help you that, but I'll do the best I can. And Mon's like, cool, I'm gonna go woo other senators. And then she goes and they debate poured because they're all just like, ah ha ha, justice, ah ha ha, safety. And Mon's like, no really, really we cannot. What are we doing here? You know your definition of what is wrong is wrong because people are suffering, and the and the senators are just like, who fucking cares? We're rich, ha 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 ha, one percent bitches. Anyway, back with Cassian and the other 99% of the galaxy. Cassian, needless to say, had a really bad day. And he's standing in line. And his whole table looks really pissed off. Because they all got shocked. And they all had a really bad day. But he notices one of his table mates are communicating with the other levels through the windows. Because they can see each other through the windows. And they're using sign language. This is important later. Anyway, they return to their room area. And Cassian is just like... Oh, they got a bed and they're like yeah the empire doesn't like the gays because if two people are in here at the same time they'll shock you he's like cool don't fuck each other got it dang empire dang it anyway they're like here's the food here's the water you can have as much as you want Shin this hole right here have fun but before they could all get settled in all the other prisoners are like so what's the pord thing cassian's like what and they're like, fuck you don't know? Apparently some rebels attacked a garrison on Aldani and slaughtered everybody horrifically and it was a bloodbath and people and Imperials were bleeding into the rivers and dying in the streets and everything was on fire and Cassian's like listen first of all that did not happen. I don't know. Why do I mean I wasn't there, what's PRRD? What's an Aldani? I don't know. And Uzloth looks him around the eye and says, Ever since then, they've doubled all of our systems we're the ones getting punished for this. And Cassian's like, oh no, I feel accountability. Ah, character arc, why? Ah. <laughs> and Melshi comes over and he's like, do you see this number here? That's how many days you have left. Don't look at the number because it's never going to matter. Nothing matters. These numbers are meaningless and we're going to be here forever. And Kino, who is like 200 days from getting out, comes over, and he attacks Melshi, and he's like, shut the fuck up, I'm getting out of here, I got my 200 days, shut up, Melshi, I'm gonna punch you in the face, go to bed, everyone go to bed, get get in your things, go, go, I'm Andy Serkis, and everyone knows I'm the best actor in this room, for, like, this arc. And Cassian looks over and goes, why do I have all the award nominations then? Ah! And then they (laughs) fight. That's not what happens. Anyway. But, uh, they all... Get back in their cells before the floors are electrified for the night. And once again, Cassina's just like, Fuck, I have accountability now. Shit. (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the fancy party, uh, we get some Mothma background. Because she's talking with Perrin, and they're looking out windows. And the people are like, Ha ha ha, look at our rich windows. And Perrin's like, I know, right? And they're like, is this how you met on Coruscant? And Mon's like, no, we met and we're married at 15. And I was a senator at 16. You know, normal people Chandrillin's things. It's normal and Chandrilla and Alabama. And so this is all very important plot things later. You know, when it comes to Lita. That's important to know this. Anyway, uh, after the fancy people left, uh Tay's already left the party and Mom Mothma's like, fuck, I have a four hundred dollars problem. Fuck the fuck. Meanwhile, back at the prison, a month has passed and Cassian is fitting into the system really well making all the fancy factory things. But one thing to note is Olaf seems to be struggling a bit, but his team is picking him up because of hope and shit. What'd you think of Act 2? This is where, like, all my notes are.
2: (laughs) I think they picked Olaf because he really knows how to sweat. He's he's a talented sweater, that guy.
1: (laughs) They probably, like, spritz him between shots.
2: Very good at looking old and sweaty.
1: That actor, uh, Christopher Christopher Fair Fair I want to make sure I get this name right, Christopher Fairbank. Uh, he's really good in Guardians of the Galaxy.
2: Yeah, I I don't have a lot of notes for this. I just love how they're they're setting everything up. I love watching Cassian observe everything. And like like as soon as like we walked in, I remember the first time I saw it, they walk in the door and he sees the boots, you know, and you look at the and I look at the boots and go like, "Ooh, you can get a pair of boots maybe, you know, if you needed to somehow. There's where they keep the boots and and just and and the, the way that they portrayed like that they were understaffed wasn't I mean, it wasn't super subtle but it, it wasn't ramming at home. It was just sort of like, if you were just casually watching it and not really thinking about it, you'd be just like, okay, this is just, you know, they're sort of making it a little more like The Office. You know, they're, they're saying, okay, this place is a little more, like the people running it are a little more casual, but it's like, no, they don't have their shit together. There's a lot of good little little dialogue things. There's where uh they, they they're drinking the little dissolving worms. Was it, i think it was the daughter who said it's disgusting yeah and, uh, and then the father goes that's the point you know <laughs> um, so one
1: interesting thing about that uh is, is the fact that it's a Chandrillan cult custom but like mon is losing a taste for it and i wish i could remember who it was i think it might have been star wars explained but like he brought up a point of just like that's because she's moving her focus away from Chandrilla into like the rest of the galaxy because she can't just focus on one planet, she has to focus on everybody. And well, it's
2: funny that the daughter finds it disgusting, and she's like a tradition. You know, she's mm-hmm. going in the like super trad. Yeah, directly.
1: but that could also be a kid thing of just like eating yeah, worms, which that's, I get. That's
2: gross. Yeah, it's like it's like eating the worm at the end of a tequila, mezcal that's, tequila yeah. bottle.
1: I don't. And I don't I, get why they put worms in it. Why? Well,
2: because, well, it's a tradition, it's a sales thing, but, like, what they used to do is, if the tequila was good, then the worm was dead by the time it hit the bottom of the, um, bottle. That was the story. Yeah.
1: Apparently, it supposedly makes it taste better.
0: Uh, I don't know about that, but maybe. Oh, maybe.
1: oh, um, The okay, uh, the agave worm was dropped into a and in basic on the rule of that if the worm was still wiggling by the time it hit the bottom of the bottom, then the liquor was safe to drink. If the worm died on the way down, the te- tequila was deemed unfit for human conception.
2: Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they weren't trying to kill it. <laughs> mm-hmm. At least not right away. They were trying to kill it slowly. Uh, I, somebody had a line now where they said it's almost a nonsense line. They go, Palpatine says what he means. What the hell does that mean?
1: <laughs> I, uh, that entire like interaction I mean, between Kapiti the senators means
2: what he says means something but says what he means. But it it sounds like a totally plausible thing that a politician would say, and you know, like everybody would be like thinking to themselves, "What?"
1: I know. <laughs> that's what I really like about that scene with this the the politicians, because like some of the things that they say are kind of nonsensical, but some of them like hit home like really hard. Like they they have that one senator that's just like, "Well, if you're not doing anything wrong, then what do you have to fear?" And Mon yeah. rebuttals with, "I question what." your definition of wrong is and like like that's a very powerful line but then you have other things that's just like like what you said and it feels like a conversation of sen- senators of just some being just like i don't give a fuck i'm just at this party and then you have people like yeah. mon- and there there's another senator there that brings up just like i'm really questioning this justice and like what justice is now um, like somebody said something on one like that. So, like, you have half the room that's just like really there, like Ma and trying to do their fucking jobs, and other ones are just like, eh, whatever, I'm drinking worms.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, apparently the worms get you pretty wasted too, because they keep keep hinting at, at that too. So, <laughs> they're good time worms. But, like, I, good I think time the worms. but it, it's fun to watch this because. Boy, you get to see Mon Motha really show how good of a politician, how good she is at basically being full of shit. She's just got layers and layers of being full of shit and like whole conversations with other people that are all just a bullshit conversation. It has it's all just nothing you know, where he's he's talking with the couple in front of the window and you hear him go like, whoa, blah, 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 the view, and they go, oh, there she is. We were just asking how, you know, blah, blah, blah. You could watch them in Mount mouth going, ah, I wish, you know, we should probably spend more time looking out the window. I shall. I'll, I'll be looking out the window more often. They're like, oh, yes, very good. Uh, yeah. It's all just bullshit. It's all just like wasting time and. And and you know stroking each other. It's and she's good at it.
1: Yeah, she does have a really good line in there. That conversation that I like, along the lines of like, uh, "Oh, it's the we forget about the familiar" or something. That is a really yeah. good line.
2: It is a really good line. But they have people that they they sit down and they write all those lines and memorize them. You know, and mm-hmm. she deploy. She, you know, it's a good line, but it, it, it's it's also just like. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's kind of like a um, a platitude at the same time because it's just something she has you know they're not having a deep conversation either you know the, the context of it is just sort of they're just like b- bestowing the courtesies upon friendly courtesies upon each other it's 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 amazing and she's and she's switching from person to person what kind of you know what powers of her political you know manipulation and bullshit she has to deploy for each single person you know each person has her you know the one guy's just got to get the money from him but he's also a childhood friend so she's got that little bit of leverage it's just it's it's so fun to watch it's also good to see mon mothma being a character for once in star wars you know instead of just like having a scene here and there you know
1: and and i really like um the dichotomy of the this really fancy fancy party intercut with the horrors of this prison system because the people at the fancy party is deciding what happens to the people in the prison. And so you see the, yeah. like like how their lives are being affected by the people who are living it up while they're being punished for something that Cassian yeah. did. <laughs> and so it's a really interesting dichotomy together to see how the people in charge versus the people who gets the effects of the on people the ground, in charge.
2: On the ground, yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
2: That's all I got for our- part part two so
1: okay so but I, I do think it's really interesting um the debate over government overreach because like in our real world like in some cases government overreach can be a good thing but it's not when it's pord and a fascist government just being like hey we're gonna slowly start stripping away all your rights and shit like that so uh, i don't know uh,
2: like if, gov- if 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 like if it's a good thing then it's probably not overreach you know what i mean it was yeah, but it probably yeah
1: like you i like like you know you'll have businesses claim or something um, that's
2: been seen as they were overreaching yeah
1: and and that's the and that's the the debate that they're having is like is it overreach or is it not like and like one of the th- examples i was thinking of is like how with a lot of the green movements that every time when it's like, hey, we need to cut down on our carbon footprint because we're fucking killing our planet, a lot of businesses are just like, government overreach and blah, 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 because that's going to, and that's what the debate is, you know, and that's essentially what these conversations that these centers are having are safety versus justice. I I just think it's really interesting. But prisons, while we're here. So Jess has like, Cyril's in a prison of his own and Cassian's in a prison of his own. Mon is in a way, in a prison of her own. And as you were saying oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> she you were
1: saying how she knows how to play these people. That is no different from her running a table like Cassian is running his table in prison. They they are pl- she is playing against every person in that room, just how Cassian is playing against every person in that room. And yeah. she likes Cyril who is using his word computer like to by any means necessary to give him this upper hand mon is using her system given to her as a senator to have her own rebellion but all three of these major characters are stuck in different prisons but they're still stuck in a prison and mon's
2: they- got the cushiest life but at the same or she's like the most like got the cushiest lifestyle but she's in a prison by the empire she's in a prison from her husband <laughs> from her marriage She's in a prison from tradition with her planet. She's in a prison of being a senator. So she's a she's just it that's and she's in a prison from having to play multi you know, multiple roles and you know, hide from her spy. She, she's just screwed. She from might every have a cushy direction.
1: lifestyle. She might have a cushy lifestyle, but she's in the most danger of like the three characters she, that she Yeah,
2: thinks. she's she's not getting a moment to relax, you know. But I mean that's basically sort of a theme too of this and like Luther is always Luther is always saying, you know, it's not gonna get better that, from here on. And uh there was conversation between the two women today, it was like we're, we're doing this till we die. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Don't you understand? Yeah. You know, in any other time. Oh, yeah, we
1: no, get... it's, it's funny that you mentioned that about parent because this episode has one of the most interesting parent scenes to me. And it's, it's right before Tay gets there when they're getting their drinks. And Perrin is there helping her. And I and I find that really interesting about it because, like, he asks, okay, what are we doing tonight? And she's like, we have to get votes. This is the plan. And he's just like, cool, I'm here. And I, I, th- I find that really interesting because up to this point, Perrin has sucked. But it seems that they have this kind of bonding moment where... He's just like, well, what do you want to drink to? Having a quick night. And he's like right back at you. And it's just kind of like camaraderie that, like, I don't. They're definitely in a marriage that they're not, they're not like romantic in. But it's a moment like that that I feel like at one point they probably did have love. You know, they probably didn't have each other. They have this this time that they probably were on really good terms because they have moments like that where Perrin is here to help us they have that like right on short night let's do this like they they, they, like if they would have fist pumped and like then like like that that's a very interesting moment and like those are the moments that I find and talking about fleshing out characters and making the gray like that tells me that Perrin's not really evil he's just complacent in his place but he is happy to help her out when needed
2: i'll I'll gray it up another level because that could all be bullshit that like at, who at this point they're both politicians they're both kinda on opposite sides, you know it's not overt now, but she knows he's cozying up with with the bad guys and her daughter's going fundamentalist.
1: Heron been- is against the fundamentalist though, because when, when it, that right. comes up, right, he doesn't up, want his like- daughter
2: involved, but he but but at the same time, he's co- you know he could be he could be being suspicious about his wife. The imperials could be cozying up to him. He could be pretending to be cozying up to the imperials, because but I don't think that's the case because if they were both that into. Rebellion, they'd they'd have figured it out between the two of them whether they I like each kind other of or not. That
1: idea that they're both I would they're love both that rebels. reveal that Perrin was in the rebellion and they just didn't trust each and other they, enough they to just, tell the other. Yeah. And they're
2: just like, but, whoa! Like, if he was in the rebellion, he'd probably know. He'd be able to hint to his wife, or he'd be more helpful to her. But it's hard to tell because. But like, yeah, he could he could be, you know, they could be having nice moments with each other to try to throw the other one off suspicion because he could be like, she might know I know that I'm on you know, I know she's up to something. And as we go, as we see, the situation is going to develop and complicate with the gambling and stuff later on and. Yeah, so they, you know, they're nice moments. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. That's what makes it such good writing. Is it yeah. could be read in so many different ways, you know.
1: Like personally, d- I don't. Depending give a
2: on what's really going on internally with any of them, in the and in like, it's impossible to know, you know, without just like playing their internal dialogue because they have to lie to everybody. So all we're getting is like a combination of all their lies and you got to sort of throw it into what, what do you call it? like a try to get the gestalt of the whole thing to see what anybody's motivations are. It's wonderful.
1: Like I don't give parent like that much credit. I, I think what we see no, is, he
2: seems kind of, yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I think what we see a parent is what we get, but I, I, I do love this idea that there was one point where they they didn't hate each other that they, there was actually love. And I love when we see those like little moments of unity between them. Um, cause I, cause I really do. I, I do wonder if the empire is what changed everything because were they like <laughs> this when she was a Senator in the Republic, you know, and she wasn't having, she was probably way more open with her, him because he says something a few lines ago of just like, why didn't you tell me about your projects that you're doing? And he well, asked, she might've
2: been that. more, she might've been more way more shallow with her politics and too. You know? I, from what we see in Clone for, Wars, I doubt that. Huh?
1: The little bit of what we see of her in Clone Wars, I I don't believe that. Like she's very much in like in line with like Bail and Padme. But
2: well, by guess, that point, by that point, but I mean in her early days of politics, when it was just you know business as usual. Oh,
1: before, like before the Clone Wars.
2: Yeah, before the Clone Wars, she she might have had a much less, you know, it it, it probably was less less so than her mild shield you know mask personality that she has now because that mask you know the the empire got her a little little more you know rebel but not an, not enough to get her kicked out of politics or anything like that or thrown in jail just that so, a sort of mild like centrist resistance but before that she might have been like not in that sort of mindset at all she might have been just a straight up just like sort of like do this like a bureaucrat type politician you know and and enjoy the social aspect of it you know Mm -hmm. so it's hard it's hard to tell that you know maybe maybe we'll get to see some more early mon mothma i don't know you never know but
1: one one little thing I never noticed about the scene with Mon and Perrin, when they're talking about, like, looking out the window and, like, you know, just like, oh, we should look out this window more. And, like, they talk about... When they're talking about the moment when they got married at age 15, something I never noticed is Lita is in the foreground out of focus, and she's stealing a cupcake and eating it. And on one hand, it just might be a cute little character beat of just, like, showing her being a kid, but it's happening with her in that foreground and the scene where they're talking about them having an arranged marriage, and we know what yeah. happens in a few episodes.
2: No, it's in this show, you know, you don't in almost any show. It, that's not something it's not like reality. That didn't just sort of happen in an opportunity. You know, there was They they were like, OK, you go over there and snag a cupcake and they set the camera up to to do all that. Show. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah, for she's sure.
1: completely out of focus. Like it, the focus is on her parents in the background, but she is here right. in the foreground stealing that cupcake and cramming it in her mouth. So I just thought that was interesting like and a cool little bit. All right, that's all my mom macko notes. Let's go to prison. So <laughs> one thing I just love about Cassian is the moment that he walks in, he's already planning on getting out. Like he is looking at everything he is very actively listening to these guards and we know he's very actively listening to these guards because he brings up the guards to Kino next episode he's just like they're short stuff aren't they Kino and Kino's like I don't know he's like yeah you do be on my side Kino let's do this but like that's one of those things that I love about Cassian is the moment he gets there he is already planning his escape (laughs) and that's just one of those really cool Cassian things that he does Uh, Well, wouldn't
2: you if you knew it was going to be six years? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Six years on
1: bullshit. (laughs) Uh, This is a very long note. I'm just going to start reading. People who are far smarter than me have broken down and talked about how the prison arc is coded for our actual prison system. And the prison labor is essentially new slave labor in our real world. Yes, I did write that. Um, because there is this whole thing about how prison systems have become like new slave labor and stuff. Um, and people much smarter than me has written all about that, and you should look it up. Um, but
2: oh, also, well, well, yeah, but I mean, you can't avoid it. Like, mm-hmm. y- you just can't avoid it. It's it's universal, unfortunately. I mean, it's like so, like no matter, like I I think if you made end or any period of television you know theoretically you know that it would be something that i mean it would be too intense for the 50s but you know let's just pretend that people would be like man there's a lot of stuff in this show that really like really reflects the headlines of today and and stuff that were you know i mean back you know back in the 50s there were there were the chain gangs you know were were, uh, um Mm -hmm. something people talked about it's it's but like, yeah, but there, you know, I mean, of course there's stuff that's really fine tuned to really more feel, feel modern, but like, yeah, a lot of the, like the, this is such a universally themed thing that it's like, you can do a lot of stuff that just like really refers right to today, but not really have to worry about like <laughs> it looking dated, you know, it's, it's. It's like I'm trying to think of a I'm trying to think of a stupid like thing that happened in like the 80s or 90s, you know, and and someone referenced it in a TV show. And then you see it today and you go like, what? What the hell are they talking about? You know,
1: it's like Jessica. I had to to, explain to somebody what Y2K is. Right,
2: right, right. Younger than me. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you see a reference to Y2K in a movie and there's going to be a lot of younger people who are like. What? What? That was the
1: first time I ever felt old because I was in my (laughs) twenties and I was just like, "Oh God, I've I'm reaching that age." (laughs) I was like twenty five, having to explain to a teenager what Y two K was.
2: Yeah, yeah, Uh, but but Andor keeps. And then it it got worse from
1: there. I just have felt old ever since.
2: And or keeps it like it's that it's I love this show so much. It's like this is this is fine t- tuned. This is like of our time. You know, this is speaking to our immediate time in the now. But it's also a universal show, but that's also which is a sad which is kind of sad in a way. But at the same time, it's a great show. <laughs> it
1: is, And I think it's it's you know, it's something we talked about all throughout Clone Wars about how like. It was, it, was one of the, it was the episode where Padme gave a speech. Um, I think it was the, assa- the, the assassin episode where Asajj, uh, not Asajj Ventress, Aura um, Singh is hunting Padme and Ahsoka's protecting her. When we gave, talked about that episode, like Elizabeth Warren had just given a speech, and I, I referenced that speech. I was like, this really reflects here. And we've essentially had this exact same conversation about how like Star Wars is purposely written in a way where it's always timely. You know, if it wasn't if it wasn't Elizabeth Warren speech right there, it would have been like AOC speech like last week or whatever.
2: Uh, It would have just been a different thing, you know. Yeah. But yeah, there would be something.
1: I think where Andor is, is where we were talking about the deep diving, where if Clone Wars was the thesis, Andor is the five page essay, which makes it a lot more. It feels, I think, more timely, but it's still very worldly. Or uh, very well, um, like, not worldly. Like Clone Wars
2: started throwing some shades of gray in, and Andor like takes it to a to a more realistic shade of gray and stuff like that, and starts starts focusing on the nuances of it. You know, instead of purposely trying to make it a black and white, good guys and bad guys, which is really more of a function of what you can do if it's going to be a movie that comes out every three years, you know, a popcorn movie every three years. But if you're going to keep following the storyline, you're going to have to start adding some nuance to it. I mean, really, this is, like, just incredible. Like, this is, I think, going to be as important to Star Wars lore and ongoing Star Wars as Clone Wars was to sort of, like, really, like, Helping recontextualizing and deepening the the prequel movies, and this one does more working on some of the the foundation one of the foundational things of Star Wars, the Rebels and the the Empire, and and puts the nuance on it, which could be almost like laborious and like a, a textbook or reading a textbook or the Silmarillion or something like that. But it's not. They do it effortlessly and in in a super tense and entertaining manner.
1: No, I I don't disagree. This is a long note. Just interject with you have points. Okay. Okay. the prison is also a representative representation of the Empire's hubris. And this goes back to the conversation that Cass and Luthen had earlier in the series when the when they were talking about like the empire couldn't conceive of it because uh, couldn't conceive of anything like this of us of somebody walking through their house the empire thinks their system is so perfect that surely no one will rise up against them in the prison and the first thing Cassian does is start looking for a way out because he's used to doing this just like he told Luthen. The present is also a representation of the Empire as a whole, as well as being coded in other kinds of capitalistic bullshit. One of the principles of the Empire is pitting people against each other. Whoever is willing to rise to the top by stepping on other people are considered the quote-unquote best. It's a running theme that we saw throughout the show with Skeen, as he was willing to step on the other Aldani crew to get his cut of a good life. And we're seeing it here with Kino. Because he is willing to be the top person in this room um, and to be on top of the, the uh, on top of this, because he has promised that this is his only way out. And we know in a few episodes this is not true. But the counter of all that is the theme of community and helping each other. It's what Ferrex is over the course of the show and over the course of this arc. Cassian figures out the community of the prison to work together. Working together and picking each other up is how the success works. But Keno is still in this place where he's like, no, my only way out is by stepping on all of you and I will throw my po- power around. So it's about learning community versus the Empire's ways of stepping on other people. And then in Big Letter Ezra, Andy Circus is so good.
2: Well, yeah, he is. but the, <laughs> the, the, the st- He really looks like... A middle-aged guy in prison who's been eating prison food and he's tough and he's had a tough life but he's just got that pasty it's it's just wonderful he's his tone is perfect but like it's funny because the step the, this isn't a, like a different and more like evil version of stuff because like skiing was trying to get ahead you know, mm-hmm. he was like I, I'm. he was he was looking out for himself in this. You're looking out for yourself, but it's more of a self-preservation type of thing. It's yeah. more of like we're, we're going to pit everybody against each other. And it's, you know, and you are trying to win because you want don't want to get shocked. It's obvious like when they get shocked, they don't want to get up off the floor there. You could tell it just like it hurts so much it drained like their energy away so if you don't win you're going to get shocked but if you win somebody's going to get shocked <laughs> you know mm-hmm. there's no logic in in you know the the thing about the the this prison is it's so incredibly evil but we're going to find out at the end then it fails because it's kind of not evil enough
1: <laughs> you know what's really it's, it's um,
2: they're they're experimenting with making it work without truly without truly denying by by using hope and it's like you know i this the this the the failure of this The escape at this prison probably proved to them that it's like, no, you got to just take their hope right from the beginning.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. The reason I mentioned the capitalistic bullshit is because this is almost exactly the same, minus the electrocuted floors, this was kind of the same system that we had when I worked at Hot Topic. But instead of floors, it was stores. So all the stores were kind of pitting against each other. And so the stores that did really well got like, Bonuses and perks and stuff like that. And if your store underperformed and failed or was failing, then you got punished for it. Even though, like, you, there are some things that are just completely out of you your You might control. not
2: have any control over it. At Hot Topic, you don't, you, you at that store only have control really except for whoever's in charge of like advertising for it. But I imagine advertising is often just like due to a, but it ends up being like, okay, we'll put some ads in the newspapers and stuff. And there's a probably a hot topic national website that you and in all that stuff. But yeah, you're, you're the only thing you can do is try to sell stuff to people when they get in the door. And if all of a sudden, like say your area has a little like economic, Recession or something, and nobody comes in, or another mall opens up.
1: Yeah, and and sometimes it was just like really bullshitty stuff of like what, like one of the things we would often get reprimanded and sometimes written up for was if we had shipments that weren't put out fast enough. So say we got like ten boxes, you know, if ten of those boxes are just backpacks, you you know, it's five backpacks in a box, you can get them done really quickly if all of those 10 boxes is say jewelry and there are hundreds of little things of jewelry yeah. in every one of these boxes. So you have like thousands to put out within an hour. You just can't do it. And we would get written up for it. And, but yeah. we would be, that big- was a,
2: that was a popular management style in that time period. That, that, and the thing
1: that, is, is that we, the, t- the one works. I worked at was the biggest store in the district about 20 minutes away was, Gwinnett Place and it was the smallest store in the district and they got all their shipment out because they got less shipment so they constantly got rewarded while we wouldn't right. the flag flagstrip store and it was just it like watching this is like this is how it felt to work retail <sighs> for 15 years <laughs> this right here is exactly how it felt and a lot the, of capitalists... the
2: Empire's version is actually very uh efficient because a retail job is yeah getting fired from a retail job probably isn't like getting shock treatment. No, oh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that 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 management style of pitting everybody against everybody else.
1: Oh, that was my manager. has,
2: has sort of gone out of style because everybody hated it and it didn't work.
1: It that seemed was my like manager. That there was times where she would just quid pro quo quid pro quo harass me. Where it was like if you don't get X, Y, and Z done, you cannot have this time off to go to your sister's wedding. And I told her, right. I will go to the, my sister's wedding. And she looked at me and said, then you will not have a job when you come back. I went, okay.
2: <laughs> and so of course me being a young- be it.
1: <laughs> well, me being like a young, like little twenty-year-old, like I didn't yeah. know what. Well, I was like, "What do you mean?" Yeah. So I worked, I worked off the clock, extra hours without getting paid because I thought yeah. that was the right thing to do.
2: They're only starting to catch up on that stuff and deal with it now. Hello, yeah, everybody. There, there this was, is why I refuse
1: to buy her universe stuff at Hot Topic. I'll buy it from there, the website, but I will not buy it from Hot Topic. Fuck Two them. decades
2: of all those places getting away with that, you know, making mm-hmm. it part of like what they taught the managers to do mm-hmm. or what the managers just figured out by, you know, the the way they had to work in the way they had to make things work. They had to, you know, basically steal from their employees.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yep. it was so crushing. But like this is what a lot of like capital systems are set up to be like to pit you against each other. And if you don't pit it each- against each other, then you're going to get punished. Best, st- best stores win, where stores get punished or lose jobs. And it's the exact same concept, too. So, yeah. Anyway, Cassian's on his character journey. Hooray. He is seeing consequences of his actions and how it affected other people. Because, and this is probably the most key part of his journey. When Olaf, like when they're asking him about Aldani, and Olaf says, we're the ones getting punished for it. This is the moment where, like, uh, this is the arc that's the turning point. Like, because he literally cannot run away from this problem. Because in the past, like, because he, he started taking some accountability last episode by, like, paying back Bix and giving everybody about their money. But he's still running because he's running away from that problem.
2: Well, like, and here, that was all, He literally and we cannot run. He has stuff. to look
1: these people in the eye and go, oh, my God, my actions out at a My actions at Aldani fucked up everybody in this room. And I cannot run away from this problem. I have to face it. Well,
2: also because it fucked up him, too, because everything Cassian does, you know, he's he's running ahead of everything. But he's still running in like he's like running into his own karma, like constantly. Okay, the first it starts out with the murder and the murder launches him into like okay gotta sell this part and get some money and get out of here while the heat before the heat gets too hot and that launches him into the rebellion because it 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 with luthan and then the heist and then the heist launches you know basically the rebellion by people start mythologizing it but it also starts a crackdown and he gets caught in the crackdown so his his own actions get him thrown in jail and like his actions that you know from this jail will have effects and and he was in the jail building the machine that spoiler is ultimately going to kill him <laughs>
1: i have hmm, we'll get to that i have such mixed feelings about showing us the death star in the series i, it, I love it, the mystery of not knowing but i i felt it, like that's that's it's, the for, that, it's time. for that it's for that
2: it's for that reason, though, it locks, I know, into, his, is it locks into his whole pattern of like everything he does. It, it's that perfect gray area stuff because he's doing bad things and good things, and like everything is having has an effect, and it and it just launches him into another level of it where he's gonna do something else it's gonna have a bigger you know his ripples of everything are getting bigger every time he does it
1: oh yeah but just staying ahead of it all roads lead to death star all roads lead to him climbing and getting the death star plans the reason i have an issue with it is it's the one time in the series i felt like it was too on the nose like this series is so actually let me go into my next point about Melshi, um because you know how they handle Melshi is not how they handle the Death Star. So, like that that reveal is the one. And I'll, I'll talk about that more when we get there. But did you have anything else? I, I do like what you said. Like no no I'm d- right I'm done with part up. two. Yeah. And and those notes, I think. Um so I want to talk about Melshi because I do think it's really cool that they brought. By the way. Duncan Powell gave this like really awesome interview on YouTube talking about how he got into this like into the the show and everything and how he got into Rogue One. It's really great because it really is a story of just like I wasn't supposed to be here and now I'm in Andor.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it's like it's it's like what's his what's his name played Wicket.
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Warwick Davis.
2: Warwick, Warwick Davis, Davis, yeah. All, all of a sudden, like all of a sudden. You're just some guy and then all of a sudden you're you're firmly ensconced in Star Wars. It's pretty Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. Speaking what... of some guy, um, I, I do love having Melshi back. I love that like we meet him here. And I'm really looking forward to like Melshi in season two. But to go back to what I was talking about, the Star Path unit in Act One, Tony Gilroy, I, I love that he has like no bells and whistles about meeting Melshi. Like there's no moment where it's just like, oh, it's Melchie, um, you know, here, we're going to linger this long shot. And he looks up and like Cassian sees them. Nope. They have this moment like they like Tony Gilroy doesn't do that. Mel-she's no, she's just because it's,
2: it's straight up that he doesn't indulge in that. He he's, yeah. knows Mel- we're seeing it through Cassian's eyes. So Melchi's just one of those other guys. Melchie is camera- literally
1: random dude number nine at the table.
2: Yeah, yeah, the camera gets him a little bit more if you know who he is. The camera catches him a little bit more, plus you're paying attention to him a little bit more. But if you have no idea that he was in Rogue One... You'd I didn't never, realize. Has, yeah, exactly, exactly. I didn't realize
1: it was Melshi until my friend Alice from Rogue Fun Podcast pointed out on Twitter because in Rogue One he has a beard and wears a hat the whole time, so yeah, I didn't yeah. recognize Melshi until she was just like, "Fucking Melshi's in this," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> so like, it's, and that's what I love about it. Like, there is no bells and whistles. He's just random dude at the table because this is all Cassian's point of view, as you said. But I love that right away, like Melshi is doing Melshi things because he knows what's up. He knows that the numbers are bullshit and he knows that they're a lie, which is exactly why Kino attacks him. And I think I find that scene very interesting for Kino's character because Kino, Kino specifically tells Cassian, if you are losing hope, keep it to yourself. And I think there's a little part of that is holding on to this hope that the system works and he is so close to to, yeah. to getting out and that belief is so strong in him that he wants to believe the system works
2: yeah and well, over that's the course
1: a, of the next they know episode, human nature yeah and over the course of the next episode he finds out that the system is broken and it's not and it's a lie but right now at this moment as melshi is speaking the truth of the matter it makes kino mad and i love that melshi is already doing kind of like rebel melshi things and but but i find it so interesting that that kino is the one that's holding on to this belief in the system and i just i love everything that melshi does like he specifically tells cassian like the oh, and this was the other point he specifically tells cassian that the days of dreaming getting out are over because probably before the the events have poured they probably did have a chance of getting out they probably did you know that the system probably did work but now that they have pord going on cassie like that was the moment where mel she's like yeah we're never getting out because the fascism just got worse yeah yeah
2: they just passed a new law the next mm-hmm. yeah they just took the next step
1: yeah I just, I really love Melshi in this series already. And I love him in the next episode. I love that him and Cassian go to the beach together. <laughs> like, ah, uh, this is where I'm just like, yeah, I really am. So I really hope Moshi is in season two a lot. Because he's, I really love him in this arc. I want to see more of him. I want the, more of his character to get us ready. Like, ah, uh, I just love him in the show. And I think at the last little note, and it's just a little side. there's that moment where is introducing Cassian and he asks, can you read? Which struck me because I know he joked that like nobody reads in Star Wars, but (laughs) like that's uh, like that that stuck out to me. And it reminded me of like our real real world systems where that are rigged. So lower income places, which in turn have struggling education systems, tend to have school to prison pipelines.
2: Well, he he also knows like, yeah, he's probably he's probably found out through experience that a lot of people can't read. So if they can't read, he's going to have to verbally explain what's going on. Mm-hmm. But he he's got to do it fast cuz they they got shit to build. So mm-hmm. like he's trying to get exactly what he needs out of Cassia and Cassian Cassian you know, the least amount of time and get him going and working and that's what he's there for. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh-huh. it's it's just a great way of showing the reality of like yeah, a lot of people like, can't read.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Let's get to Act 3. We are... This All is right. a long episode. <laughs> but this is a packed episode. Uh,
2: I'm, cool. I I. said at the beginning it's my favorite, so, you know...
1: Yeah.
2: I'm sort of expecting it.
1: Yeah. So, Act 3, are we going to wrap the puppy up and send it on its way?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's nothing even close. To, we're going to wrap that little worm up and... Protect it for, for, for No, we're gonna take it And let it go in the ground
1: for, To save it
2: from its, its Fate
1: Goodbye little worm, enjoy Alright, act three Hey, we're back on Ferrix, and the Empire is still moving in And they're just like, man, this is a really nice hotel We've taken over, and then and all the people Are just like, ah, oh, fuck you And the people being Brasso, who's walking by Because he is going to Marva's house And Bix is there because Marva has fallen, and she's not doing well. And Bix and Brasso are just like, Marva, why are you doing things? And she's just like, because I can! I'm a rebel! And they're like, oh, Marva. And they go outside to talk about her, because apparently Marva has just, like, been hassling the stormtroopers. And she's also trying to open the old floodgate tunnels under the hotel. Hey, you know, put a note in that. That's foreshadowing for the finale. You know, that there's tunnels under the hotel and all that. And they're And Brasso are just like, Brasso are just like, listen to that grammar. Brasso is like, hmm, where are we going to take Marva? Maybe the daughters of Pharax will take her in. And Bix goes, oh, I see what you're doing. That's more foreshadowing for the finale. And Bix and Brasso look at the camera and smile. Anyway, uh, Marva wants to stay in her house because she's a rebel. And she's going to stay there, and there's nothing they can do. Little do they know that they're being watched by everyone's favorite lesbian, Cell and Vinta. Cell and Vinta. <laughs> We've been doing this for two hours. Bell and Sinta.
2: Everybody's favorite lesbian. <laughs>
1: um, meanwhile, Bell and Sinta, uh are watching them, Brasso, them being Brass Olympics. And. Vicks. and uh, Cinta comes up and she's just like, "Hey babe, I found a house here." And Belle's like, "What do you mean you found a house here? Like for us, are we gonna, you wanna, are we gonna live together? Are we gonna move in? Oh my like, god, honey, really? this is all so fast." And Santa's like, "No, I'm here to spy for the mission. You know, like, babe, we we can't be babes until like the vampire, the vampires, the empires gone. <laughs> Oh my god, my brain's falling apart." Um, and Belle's like, "But." What if we want to, like, couple together? Like, I want to be a couple with you. And Santa's like, we're doing this to the death, you know? We have to be hardcore and not have feelings and shit because we have to be killers. And Bella's like, yeah, I'd rather have my girlfriend, thanks. Anyway, the worst choice ever happens. The worst choice that anyone makes in this entire series happens. Because everything goes to shit thanks to this, this moment. Bix. Goes to Pack, and he's just like, "Hey Pack, can I use your super secret thing to call Luthen?" And Pack's like, "That is a very bad idea for a lot of reasons, mainly the Empire is here." But in a very heartbreaking choice, Bix is like, "I have to Pack, it's important," and he gives in and lets her use the phone secret phone thingy, in the worst choice of this entire season. The Bix climbs up the big old ladder and she calls Luthen. And guess what? Clay and Luthen get the message. And Luthen throws up the door. He's like, Is it Cassian? Is it Cassian? Is he calling me? Is he friends? Does he want to be my friends? And Clay is like, Oh my god. Get your shit together. What is wrong with you? You're slipping. You're not supposed to have feelings. you got to be a cold, hard bitch like me. You know what? I'm going to end this whole Ferrix thing. And he's like, I'm not slipping. You're slipping. Your mom's slippery. Your mom was slippery last night when I was done with her. And is like, wow, we are definitely ending Ferrix now. Say it. And he's like, fine, shut up, Ferrix. We'll never go back. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go see Zal Guerrero. And Claire's like, oh, my God. And she hangs up on Vix. And, you know, there's some montage stuff here. And between, like, some sad lesbians and Luthen flying to see Saw Gerrera, a prisoner kills himself. You know, just straight up commits suicide on Cassian's black. You know, so Star Wars is for kids and shit. Anyway, <laughs> the next day on Farrick's, they have the metallic banging sound going on from episode three, you know, like the reckoning sound. And Bix runs outside and she reala- realizes that there's something very wrong. And when she goes into town, she immediately meets the consequences of her actions. Because Pack has been arrested and he hasn't re been, he has blah blah blah. He has not returned home yet. And Bix is like, Oh my god, this is all my fault. And Brasso's like, What do you mean it's your fault? And she's like, I did it. I did it. And the Empire looks over and the Imperial is like, you did what, Bix Colleen? And she's like, okay, I'm going to run away now and be very super suspicious about it. And she runs away. And of course, one thing is true in this show is Bix is always bad at being captured. (laughs) She never runs away fast enough. And once again, she gets captured by the Empire. And they bring her to the hotel and the hotel is the last time that she or anyone gets to see Pack alive, because he's been tortured by Dedra. And Dedra's like, Hi, Vix! You know how everyone's been rooting for me all season long, because I was the underdog and now I'm here? Haha, <laughs> I'm gonna start my fascist arc on you. Ha <laughs> ha! ready to be tortured? Let's be friends. And Vix is like, The white people are here. Oh no. <laughs> and so, it's time to finally touch base with one person that we have not seen since Rogue One. That's Saul Guerrera. Because it's not a Tony Gilroy, Saw Gerrera, Rogue One show without a Saw Gerrera. I need some water. Mm. Ah. So Luthen shows up to Saw Guerrera, And he's all just like, hey, Saw, love the Aldani. And Saul's just like, I thought you did Aldani. And they're like, ha ha ha, let's bullshit each other for two whole minutes. And Saul is like, by the way, what's it like being a coward behind the scenes? And Luthen's like... What's it like not playing well with others? And then they bullshit for like two more minutes, and they're like, ha 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 ha. And so, long story short, Luthen's like, hey, I will give you a shit ton of parts and bribe you if you work with a dude named Anto Krieger. And remember the Krieger guy, everybody, because while he's not a super big player in this, this show, he does come back in the story. And so I was like, I'm not going to work with Krieger. You know why? Because he's a Separatist. And, you know, the Separatists killed my sister in the Clone Wars. And Luthan's like, look, Saul, we can't all be separated. You're going to have to put your petty bullshit aside. And Saul's like, I'm sorry, they murdered my sister. I'm not going to work with him. I'm doing my own righteous thing, and it rocks. And Luther's like, you know what? We all have to start working together because, hold on, I wrote down this line. Oppression breeds rebellion, Saul. You know, so get your shit together because we're all going to have to work with each other. And Saul's like, mm, that's cute, honey. No deal. Goodbye. And he sends Luthen away. And Luthen's like, ah, oh, this is the worst day. At least I'm not in prison. And the episode ends with Cassian in prison going, ah, I wish I wasn't here. The end.
2: Who said I am a mirror?
1: That was Senta.
2: Okay. I couldn't remember who said that line, but I wrote it down in my notes.
1: Yeah. That, as, as an, she says as that an to important Vell, line. Yeah. She says that to Velka. she's like, I am a mirror and I show you what you need to see.
2: Yep. Yeah, yep, that's it. That's a great line. I like how Luthen's stakes have have all gone up, and uh, I just I I love seeing Sawgrier at this point, you know.
1: I I he, actually wrote down he, somewhere um where to I uh the Luthen and Saw scene is great. It's just two amazing actors shining at their craft, going off at each other.
2: And he's like. When we saw Sagrera in 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 uh, Rogue One, you know we 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 were familiar with his character from 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 um, Clone Wars. Clone Wars.
1: Yeah, we had uh. only seen him in Clone Wars at that point. So we saw it at the beginning, and then Rogue One was the end of the story.
2: But Rogue One, he's only in it for a little bit. Yeah, he's got his one scene, and he's full Forest Riddiker. Uh, you know, Saul Guerrero end stage Saul Guerrero right before he dies. Spoiler. So he kind of like a lot of the critics complain, a lot of people complain is like, who's this guy? You know, (laughs) here he is. He's got all this stuff going on. He's got like five or 10 minutes in the movie and then he's, he's gone. Okay. You know, I don't know what's going on, but by now he's so ingrained in the story that by the time he shows up, and in this one, he's not still not fully gone, although he's quite a ways there mentally. Physically, he's still doing pretty good, but um, you really know his character now. So when he shows up, it's just like and and now and and we get another scene coming up where yeah, these these two actors like Forrest Whitaker is like a you know a national treasure style you know he's one of the top tiers of actors you know he's been in all these amazing movies so now he's finally getting to go to act his character's got a lot of depth behind it so now whenever i see it before it was like okay here's saw guerrera and like in clone wars and stuff when he popped up you sort of knew what he stood for and he would just sort of and like recently in the bad batch it was like oh you know saw guys are there you know what's going on there they're just wiping everything out you know and it was does not have the depth that like people weren't complaining about in, in clone wars but we're complaining about in rogue one but now his character has got that if you've been following stuff so it's just a joy whenever whenever he's on the screen you know And I love the part where he's just like all of them lost, you know, he just he does not trust anybody but himself. Nobody is. And that that also reflects a lot of like, you know, rebellions and, you know, typically typically left wing rebellions. Of people that they, they, none of them trust each other. They all hate each other, and you know, you're like, well, what about these guys? No, they're they're they are, you know, throw them in the fire, you know. I won't talk to them, won't deal with them, and stuff. They disagree with me on this one small point, so you know what? Fuck them all. I hope they die in in a in a house fire.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Oh my God. That is, like, what pisses me off so much about, like, the left is because the right is, it's so bullshitty, but at least they got their shit together and they'll put everything, they'll put all their differences aside to work for a common goal. Meanwhile, the left is just like, look, let's all just fight amongst ourselves and sort of not get stuff done. like, ca- listen, they're, they're, I wanna they're throw never Nancy get- Pelosi as far as, I don't trust Nancy Pelosi as far as I can throw her, but still, we need to figure some shit out here.
2: Yeah. You know, we'll we'll fight over the fine points of of everything instead of how we're going to actually do it, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, fight about the philosophy behind something and not behind a course of action and stuff like that. So, yeah. yep. Yeah. Well, left stuff is more nerdy. It's more involved with like reading books on theory and stuff like that and it gives people way more stuff to argue with whereas right wing theory right wing politics are sort of like this bad this good now go (laughs) and everybody knows everybody knows how to be in alignment with each other more or less you know not in the left it's not gonna happen you're just gonna it's just gonna be like room full of (laughs) saw I like that laugh that like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: let's see. Oh, my only other note is immediately like I got a little Vietnam reference when they're like holding prisoners in the, they take the hotel, they're holding prisoners and torturing him in the hotel. And totally reminds me of the Hanoi Hilton in Vietnam. Where they would take, John, I think that's I think that's where they kept uh, what's his name John McCain when he got captured in Vietnam.
1: That sounds familiar. Yeah.
2: And it, and it, it was just like you know they took over a hotel and that's where they that's where they did all their just sort of like off the records interrogation and dealing with that sort of stuff. So I'm I'm sure that I'm sure that is uh, not lost on the Gilroy's. That's all I've got for part three of my favorite mm. episode.
1: Mm. I thought you'd be longer. I just have like two cheeses. In my mouth. <laughs> Listen, I'm hungry. I Sorry, <laughs> I, I hope it's only halfway longer. through a
2: sandwich. Mm. <laughs> mm. Got like a Dagwood sandwich there.
1: <laughs> okay, forget, forget. The cheeses have escaped my mouth.
2: I, I can't make fun because like, you know, unfor- unfortunately for you. You you've got like long reading things where I can just hit pause and like you know uh, clap and my hands. you can hands kind of follow they, along
1: my notes too to, bring to see me like the, where I'm at.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I just I'm just sitting here eating roasted boar with an apple in its mouth while you know mm-hmm. going, oh, I, "Oh, time to unpause." Hello.
1: <laughs> All right, uh very small note, but I just one thing I love seeing just Bix and Brasso taking care of Marva, it just yeah. builds that community theme. But Fiona Shaw's acting and that one scene that she's in is superb. If you have ever been around an elderly person that has fallen, they have that distant, unfocused look. And like she's just looking at everything. She's not focused on anything. That is she's, exactly what they do.
2: She's got she's got a uh, uh handkerchief like clasped in her hand. And she her hands are doing like
1: and she's shaking,
2: fut, futzing around and shaking and she wants to do things and drink her tea and and do stuff. But she just can't focus on it. And she's pale and, and kind of sweaty.
1: Yeah. And, compared to like what was it yeah. last episode when she said goodbye to Castian where like she was had everything like her lips were about her. Everything was there. She looks way more. Yeah. No,
2: she's. Yeah. She's no, acting
1: she, the shit out of it
2: yeah i mean like a lot of it is done like strictly with their eyes and it's Mm -hmm. yeah it's amazing yeah
1: this is some really good eye acting
2: when they cast this they definitely like there's a lot of really good actors that are strong like character actors like brasso brasso's playing uh, a type and you know the actor playing brasso is playing a type and he he hits it but with the the characters that are super important like like her and like Cassian and like um, Hindi circuit you know you throw those people in and and like um, Cyril's mother you know you get these people that like can do you know those super level actors that can do all sorts of things with you know their eyes and intonation and make little lines you know resonate forever afterwards and stuff and they've really done a good job of putting those people in the right place like marva's playing a character but there's several you know there's several more levels on her character than say brasso you know brasso look they they both look the part character wise but she adds an extra like i'm sure the actor plays brasso can do it too but that's not the like the that role doesn't go there but Mm -hmm. the roles that go there they they pick the people that can really like really finesse it and just add layers and layers upon it as they as they do it and and yeah she she's an amazing actress
1: Mm -hmm. i I like the like little mention of the daughters of ferricks and all that stuff because like it is set up for the finale but it also continues to build that theme of community and like you know, when you have, like, these small towns that, like, where the community takes care of each other. Yeah. And, like, re- like when we actually see the Daughters of Ferex, like, they are, like, the older people of the town um, that's taking care of everybody else. And it just reminded me of, like, my grandfather was uh, a Masonic um, member. And, my like, my kid. uncle was a Shriner. And my grandmother would, like, work in the church to, like, cook member like meals for, like, the sick members yeah. of our church. And it's just one of those, like, small-town community things. That, like, really makes this world feel real.
2: One of the librarians, and my dad, in the case of his tiny town that he was living in, like, there's somebody who's a village historian, you know, and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And Yeah.
1: So let's talk about Vel and Sinta. Vel and Sinta, to me, are the very extreme versions of Hera and Kanan from Rebels. And I mean that by Hera and Sinta. Were the ones who were like, we have to put the rebellion first before our relationship. Yeah, they're
2: they're they're the more real. They're more grounded and real. You know, I mean, like rebels is a different kind of story, and this yeah. one is. If they were if they were like pursuing their relationship, like you should pursue a relationship, they would be getting people killed, <laughs> or probably getting themselves killed. You know, no, so. I-
1: but, but here's the thing, I'm going to finish this point, because Val and Kanan are the ones who are not losing their souls in the fight. And I mean more that for Sinta than Hera, because Senta is like, yeah, we do this till we die and our relationship comes to death. And Hera wasn't as bad as Sinta, but I'd be really interested to see where Sinta would go if she was ever put into a position that Hera was. And if Sinta ever lost Val. Because the whole point of the Kanan and Hera relationship is Hera realizes too late that she should have spent more time with Kanan because they didn't have enough time. She lost him and he's gone. And she that all that time where he was like, I want to spend time with you. And she was like, no rebellion first. She realized that that time with him. Was what she was fighting for, and that was just as important. She realized that message too late, and I don't know if Cinta would do that. I feel like Cinta would double down in the more toxic, angry direction.
2: She would. She would not like it, but I mean, she is set. She has steeled her. But the thing is, is like Hera and and those guys. They're getting involved much later, and they're no, still same,
1: same time. Same time. They, this season and Rebel season one takes yeah. place at the same time.
2: Well, and yeah, and the, and you know, they're doing espionage and stuff like that, but yeah, they're just not going to, I mean, that's the, that's the thing, it's not, it's it's a show less grounded, that's why Andor's kind of jarring to a lot of people, because it's more grounded in reality, you know, like dealing with the Empire and do it, you know, the, the, and trying to keep secrecy you know they 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 steered clear of you know like <laughs> characters losing their mind to torture you know and stuff like that so it's it's it was you know it was playing to a younger audience so it's it's a little bit jarring that you know when you start when you start realizing that the world of Hera and, and Rebels is going to collide with this world in some way. It's going to be some combination of this world and, you know, the Mandalorian Boba Fett world, mm-hmm. you know, or and and, you know, coming up the Ahsoka world coming up like, isn't it like the end of next month or something like that? Like so,
1: that. Yeah, I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's it's coming up. But, you know, it's going to be some, some, some mid, you know, it won't be, it's not going to be Andor, but it's not going to be Rebels either. It's going to be somewhere in between that is Mm. the grittiness of the, the grittiness of the presentation and the stakes.
1: But it just, you know, the whole like Valencenta thing reminds me so much of Yoda's lesson in Rebels, which is, it's not about whether or not you fight, but it's about how you choose to fight to not lose your soul, and that's where Valentina are. Like, Val hasn't lost her soul, and yes, she wants to fight, but she also wants to fight for what she loves, not fight to, to save what she loves, not fight what she hates.
2: This goes back to our conversation a couple episodes ago, which I think from the last episode where it's like she's also probably a bit more privileged, though she's a little newer to it. She comes. We know from that she's like a rich, rich girl, rich political family so she still maybe does not understand that you can't have your your romantic you know you're you're a your rebel but like you, you you can't have your cake and eat it too probably you know well, if you get a little I, I bite it me. you know you get a little bite of cake every once in a while when you can but that's when you know you have a chance to like actually do that which is going to be slim and none in the their their business I, I
1: can't agree with that though I I, I can't because I I feel like that is the lesson of Hera and Kanan like you can still fight but you can still take the time for the ones you love because you're fighting for the ones you love and like um yeah I I feel like I, I feel like it's a balance between the two you know like they're like it's not about having your cake and eating it too it's learning how to eat the cake while doing everything
2: well yeah else. yeah but Hera and Kanan like in that storyline in the way that story was being told they weren't on a death run all these guys are on a death run psychologically
1: i will give you that you You know
2: they are they're going to the death they have a relationship one of them is more naive the one that's the one that's a little more little little more jaded is like look we're gonna lose each other one of us is gonna lose the other one or we're both gonna die at the same time you know maybe that would be ideal but what you know how far do you how deep do you you know how much do you want to put into that relationship to just have it you know it's gonna you're gonna lose the other person at some point too so there's that's factored into it you know mm-hmm. they, they they all know that they're probably going to end up in a prison or dead or torture you know it's 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 A dark position they're in Mm -hmm. they're they're in that point where society has let things go too far to where it's like you know there's going to be sacrifices to be made so like and that's like what makes their relationship interesting is they're not quite in the same place as psychologically as far as the rebellion is Mm -hmm. and when you put her next to Ma, her cousin, you know, Mon Mothma, she looks like a hard ass. But when you put her in 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 front of her girlfriend, she she's she's a you know a a spoiled rich girl, you know, yeah. or a naive naive rich girl.
1: Bill Bill has definitely become to me like the more I watch it, the more I like Bill's character. My last little note about them, too, is let Valentin to kiss and boy doink. Just like Bix and Tem did. Sex and affection shouldn't just be for the straight Star Wars. Just saying. Um, yeah, but
2: they were just. But yeah. Yeah, they should. But I know. maybe not this episode due to the topic of their discussion. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have made sense narratively. I enough. I know. They should anyway. They should anyway.
1: They, at least we got a whole hand holding. Cinta reached over and held her hand. I'll <laughs> stop the presses. Um, but I know, I just... I'm going to bring it up and bitch about it whenever I can. But oh my god. Probably the most devastating choice of this entire show... Is Bix calling Luther. And it breaks my heart. Because it's a choice that Bix makes out of love for Marva. She's trying to be a friend to Cassian. She's trying to find him. But it's a move that has such devastating consequences because we and we already see that starting like in the very next scene. It's the yeah. one single choice that ripples out because it makes Dedra come to Ferex. Pack is killed. Bix is tortured. Willman takes a revenge for his dad and bombs the hotel the riot breaks out, which leads to the death of several people on Ferex. We can only imagine that the Empire is going to crack down on Ferex because of this in season two. And like the Empire is coming for Ferex, but they're kind of coming slowly. In in the scale of the show,
2: it's a good thing that she does that.
1: (laughs) It is. is. But for like the stakes of it, like the Empire is coming, but Bix accelerates that so much faster. But what hurts is that it's, the intention behind it is not bad, but like even Pack was like, "Are you no, sure you like, want to do that? Are you sure?" Yeah, but that's like
2: the <laughs> it's desperation, you know. That's it
1: is, and it, that's why it hurts my heart to see it because it's out of love and desperation, and it just makes everything go wrong. And I'm just like, "Oh, Bix girl, no, don't."
2: And and it's, when it and it when it gets to Luthen and Clea.
1: They, oh like, yeah.
2: They instant they they they're a little they're they're more savvy and they're just like oh shit no, no. you know no. they both know it's wrong but Luthen's got a little Luthen's got a little bit of the desperation too where he wants to answer it and if he did then it would that would have been the end that would have well See? I mean that would have been the end of him being you know secret secretive about who Love he them. is. <laughs>
1: Welcome to today's version of Clay is the real axis here, because well, there, she is the one who's telling him, like, you were slipping, you are going soft, we need to shut down facts because you cannot answer this. And she even looks at him and says, tell me to shut down. Well,
2: Fex. that's 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 the that's the line where it's like where it makes it really like interesting what their power relationship is, mm-hmm. because. But Luthen, Luther is, is not. The, this is
1: he's, the scene, by the way. Like this scene right here is the one that made me go: Is Kaya actually in charge? Like it's this scene that made well, me kind of rethink everything about the relationship and like kind of look back the show, going: Is she actually it, the one in charge?
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it intimates that, but then she there there definitely is a power dynamic where she can't make the call; he has to make the call. Mm-hmm. For whatever for whatever reason in their their power structure wherever it goes he has to say it but she like she's doing the like look you know this is right we we got to shut this down and she's waiting for him to make the decision but it's up to him he's got to say it in order to do it and but she also seems to know that he's going to you know it seems yeah no, I like think at that moment just...
1: if he didn't say it she would shut it down anyway. But she's trying to put him into a place of just, like, you have to be on... Like, it's it's a trust check. It's a trust check. She's checking him to see if he's trustworthy. And, like, uh, she's like, if you don't tell me to say it, I'm going to shut it down regardless. But I need you to... I need to know I can trust you on this. That you're not going to slip on this Cassian dude. Like, I need to know this. And if he fails that test and doesn't tell her to do it, then she... He fails that with her. Like, it's a trust check. Yeah, it could
2: go... it, It could be interpreted e- either way equally i think so yeah but that's i mean that's the situation we are in for the information with with the information that we know we know certain things they're all still everybody's hiding something you know by necessity so we're, we're, we'll we, we only know as things progress and we learn new things like there's there's things people say early in season one that like by season two we realize what's going on or by by the end of season one and there's going to be whole things in season two that are going to you know be like you know we're going to you know i think we're going to find out like so you know I, i'm sure we'll find out more about luthan and his his motivations yeah, and we, such we, and, we
1: leave season one still essentially knowing nothing still with
2: nothing yeah with nothing that's the thing yeah. is we can't we can't trust any piece of information that we get from him like they're, his conversation with Saul Guerrero is going to take on a whole new stank. The next time he has a conversation with Saul Guerrero, they're, they're going to be having, you know, a completely different. There's going to be a t- totally different uh, mood to the whole thing. We only know that because we've seen the season before, but like, yeah, yeah. It's, I love it. I love it.
1: For a couple of little notes, I like that they brought back the the reckoning metal banging sound on Ferrex, and, like, Bex immediately knew something was wrong. That was just a nice little callback to the third episode. The prisoner suicide scene is rough. That's a rough scene, because usually when we see, like, suicides in Star Wars, they're heroic moments of just, like, I'm gonna crash my x wings, then this, you know, or, like, the whole maneuver. Like, it's these, these heroic moments. No, this is... Grim, horrific, and is
2: somebody just tapping out.
1: Yeah, he's like, I've been here too long. And then like, how afterwards, like half the room is just like, Oh no, so and so. Oh no. And then the other half of the room is like, We're gonna have to fucking smell him all night. Like it's so callous and cold. And I and it's I very think jail life.
2: This is like in jail.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think this is kind of a first for Star Wars. I can't think of any time where a suicide's been like this cold because usually they're. Like, 99% of the time, if someone's committing suicide, it's up for a heroic thing to, like, save their fellow people or whatever. So, it's just brutal. So, about the Saul and the Luthan scene, I love the state of the rebellion at this moment as a mishmash of no one trusting each other. And, of course, why would Saul want to work with Krieger? He's a separatist. They killed his sister in the Clone Wars. And, and I like, what I also like about this scene is it reminds me of the scenes of Mon Mothma and Saul in Rebels. Um, With them on opposite sides. And that made me start kind of wondering about how the power is going to shift in season two. Because Luthan is clearly in favor with Saul and other rebel cells and stuff like that. But what's going to happen? Is he going to start losing favor when Mon Mothma (laughs) starts gaining favor? Because it's Mon Mothma. That brings the rebel cells together. It is her that makes the call. It is her that reaches out and gets everybody together, not Luthen. And I'm really well, interested to see that shift in season two. Of, she might like, just
2: be the face of it, though, too. You know, that's the thing is she. Oh,
1: that's a, that's a valid point.
2: Yeah, whoever whoever gets them all together isn't going to do it alone either. I mean, obviously Luthen Luthen Luth- Luth- is going to have to find himself at, at odds with Sogarer because he doesn't want to, he wants to be on, on his own and he's just one. I think Luthan will be more sympathetic to Saw Gerrera than Mon Mothma would <laughs> in being like, you know, a, a sort of, you know, independent actor in all of it and be just like, well, at least he's on our side, you know, whereas Mon Mothma, it's like, he's going to screw everything up, you know, mm-hmm. but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, that's, I- by the by, the time we get to like you know Rogue One, Mon Mothma is, you know she in here she's the one she's the one you know, start starting all the trouble and planting all the seeds. But by the time we get to Rogue One, everybody's like, ah, oh, Mon Mothma's being a stick in the mud. <laughs> you know, she's 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 dragging her feet on this one. You know, we need to start I mean, blowing up stuff.
1: If you're going and, in timeline order, she's. That that's exactly what her conversation with Saul is in Rebels, where yes. where he's like, You're being very inefficient, and she's like, You're a fucking terrorist. You murder civilians. I'm trying to not murder civilians here. Right. <laughs> and so, like, and because that that's actually the entire point of that episode is Ezra and Sabine are frustrated with how the politics of the rebellion, Ahmad Mothma, and working at the Yavin base. And they're like, we're going to go on the side that rocks. And they team up with Saul Guerrero for an episode. And then they Saul leaves them to die. <laughs> and they're right, like, right. oh, OK, let's go back home now. <laughs> like, that is the point of the episode. That Mon's not being a stick in the mud. She's just trying to save people's lives, and that's the debate. So, Kasol technically wins in that episode, but he also lives, leaves Sabine and Ezra to die. So, uh, you know, that's really all I have. Cause I think this other note, I realized we've talked about this before on the show. Uh, oh no, one more. Seeing Dedra slide into her fascist power arc is great and creepy.
2: Yes, it is.
1: Yep, yep, yep. She's uh going in for her fascist power arc so anyway that's all i have for this episode did you have anything else this is a packed I, episode
2: sure yeah it was
1: like this is one of those it's like oh I, this won't take me long and then i'm just like writing out like full page notes i'm just like oh, ha, 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 i was wrong it did, it,
2: it did a lot of work but it didn't feel like exposition because the prison arc is so compelling and we that, like it. that like you, you're jazzed on that and and I gotta say, you know, scenes of people in corporate boardrooms and at political parties are not my cup of tea, and I am eating them with a spoon. In this, uh, every mm-hmm. scene is gold, yep, and wonderful to watch. And
1: Mm-mm.
2: I'll sit, I'll sit there and watch that that imperial boardroom meeting all day. It's, it's all
1: day long, fascinating. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. I, I will watch Mon Mothma's Beautiful Parties all day long, too. All
2: day long. All day long. As well, long as if these guys are writing it and the, these guys are acting it, it's gold.
1: Well, then what's the score then, Chris?
2: I gave this one a 10 out of 10.
1: Wow, really? Yeah. Hold up. This is I, a rare Chris 10 out of 10.
2: It is. It is. Holy I'm shit. Lo- this is this is this is a this is a point in Star Wars. This is a a stick a, a mark in it. This is this episode is a turning point in Star Wars or a very important part of Star Wars storytelling. It's just like, you know, the, up until now everything has sort of been based in stuff that we've already like we've already seen before in our Star Wars villages, you know you know, industrial planets and, and Coruscant and stuff like that. But like that with the introduction of the prison and just doing straight up sci, basically sci-fi with the music and everything still making it feel Star Wars. And yeah, it's, 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 it's what I've, you know, this is, this is sort of like the peak of the kind of thing that I've been hoping um so the between this and Star Wars visions that is what i was sort of hoping was going to happen with Star Wars once disney took it over where like it was going to you know there's going to be a couple times where it falls into some hands it seemed like it would be a really weird combination and a and a really weird approach to Star Wars but it's going to click and it finally has with like with 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 andor you know this is the first this is the first, like, Star Wars in a long time that, like, truly, like, change it, changes things, you know. I don't think it happened since the prequels. The prequels were a different thing than the, than the original trilogy, and it felt different and some people hated it for that reason and other people like me were like really excited because we didn't really expect it but it's like yeah that makes sense George Lucas would try to do something different to keep himself interested and that's what this does it's a necessary it, it, it and it's not just different for the sake of being different or subversive or anything it really really like strongly and with be- with good intentions and successfully like fills in you know parts of the lore that that you know it's not like okay you know the, with all these important battles that took place and stuff it's the idea it lays the ideas for the the rebels and the the empire beyond um you know, good guys, bad guys. You know, it it, it as a as a more complicated thing, and a, a, a more, you know, grounded thing, and it works. You know, wonderfully. Yeah, ten, ten, ten. Wow. Might be I, my favorite. Fi- yeah.
1: I'm just in shock. <laughs> you so rarely have ten out of tens, and I'm just like, yeah. wow, cool yeah Um, no
2: like watching this episode is a joy it's it's a masterpiece
1: i um for me i i I, everything you just said uh is for me it's a 9.5 because personally i i remember i liked the other two episodes more Mm -hmm. um and so i the the 9.5 is to give myself some wiggle room (laughs) because i i do remember what liking those two more Uh, Oh, the other
2: two might be more exciting and stuff, but this is the one, like, they're building off this one. This one was, when this one happened, it was just like, I just, I, I was not expecting it to be as complex and interesting and new as to, like, what it would be like in Imperial Prison for Cassian. It was, it was just, yeah, it was like a Kubrick movie approach to it rather than just sort of like, okay, great escape. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yum 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 yum.
1: Yeah. Uh nine point five for me for all the reason Chris at with wiggle room. So as always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes Twitter or on the Two True Freaks Facebook page or our Two True Freaks Twitter or uh, just Twitter, wow, brain. Uh we've been recording three hours. Uh our Discord channel um because also fun fact our question of yoda question today came from our discord channel because i went over and i was like i need a yoda question and gene happened to be there and gene was like hey and then like a couple weeks ago i did the <laughs> same thing i was like i need a yoda question and charles was like hey so yeah coming hey, out so discord.
2: everybody's the fans apparently over in the the discord page
1: hey <laughs> hey hey um
2: this gene week, walked our... up to the jukebox and just like punched it and it started playing music
1: mm-hmm. yeah uh well sorry uh yes I, I understood the reference but my brain was like you're tired <laughs> go to bed um this week our <laughs> feedback comes from facebook for our and or episode two that would be me uh just so you know that chris is you can i read yours
2: yes okay uh, you want me to read Diego?
1: Yeah, of course, but I'm going to okay.
2: read you. Okay, Diego Lemmo said, It's weird that Cassian joined the Alliance to restore the Republic when it was supposedly the Republic... when when supposedly was it the Republic that won the, destroyed Canary. And Marva seems openly separatist. She immediately blamed the Republic, but everything is better than the Empire. And I and said... It,
1: and Chris says, I don't know if it's Cassian. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Is Zach exactly being motivated by restoring, I'm sorry, quote unquote, <laughs> restoring the Republic aspect as much as he is fighting, quote unquote, by King the Empire aspect. It's personal.
2: Nailed it.
1: Did you understand any of that?
2: <laughs> yes, of course I nailed it. You, I, understood. I mean, You're you get to give my me language.
1: a voice. <laughs> you get to give me a voice. I had to give you a voice. But no, Diego, like I I, I do uh, think it's more not. I, I think it's more along the lines of like enemy of our enemy is our friend. And everybody's against the Empire at this point. So I I don't think it's about like Chris says it's about fighting the Republic. I think, or restoring the Republic. I don't think Cassian gives a fuck. I really do think it's about fighting the Empire because, you know, they're invading his home.
2: Yeah, and, yeah.
1: And stuff, so. But thank you so much for the feedback. And, yeah. uh, That's all I have for this episode, Chris. So where can people find you? Because I am ready to go to bed.
2: You can find me at 2truefreaks.com. com. is our website where we put all our podcasts up in their little categories you can go sign up for rss feeds there see what each shows up to or you can go to facebook where we have uh the two true freaks podcast page where we post up all our new episodes as they come out including this one there's the two true freaks cantina where you can go hang out ask questions of you you can ask questions of yoda or you can go to the discord channel and hang out and uh and on the two true freaks page every new episode of uh j guys and, and Jedi
1: where i where you get to see fun things on the discord like brian weber showed us somebody drew yoda as a cat boy licking something and so brian sent that to me i, I, and I, I went, have not oh my seen God. that
2: yet <laughs> you've not seen it yet i have not seen that yet so oh I'm it's over great. there it's right disgusting. after
1: this brian but yeah if you Brian sent it to me, and I immediately looked at it and was like, "You have to go put
2: those in the Discord." Right now. <laughs> Every, all the show the show notes of our new episodes on the Two True Freaks uh, podcast page. I'll have an in- invite to our Discord. Go there and talk to any any of the other podcasts that you listen to. Also, if you listen to any other Two True Freaks podcast, you know if you're you're a weirdo like uh, leading into our Twitter master, the question master. Uh, for this week of Yoda? Gene. Gene, the podcasting machine. He does listen to all of them.
1: He does, and because of that, I'm not going to do a do do do. I'm going to give Gene a shout-out because he was on a podcast called Queen of the Knights. That's a K um, And he did a voice on their episode, and this was episode four of Queen of the Knights. And I just want to give a shout-out to Gene, because he always listens to all of our shows, and we should shout him out when he's doing really cool stuff too. So, go listen. To I the got Gene. to do.
2: I got to do an Elmo voice in an audio drama as a narrator.
1: Why are you trying to steal Gene's thunder? I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's funny
2: that you say fun, thunder, thunder El- though, no, because Gene is a, a worshipper of the Thunder God family, so uh-huh. Gene does have thunder to steal. And yes, I would like a little thunder, please. I, I will steal some of Jean's thunder. I, I'd i like some thunder.
1: No, oh, no, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. So.
0: <laughs> where's my thunder?
2: Ah, uh, exactly. Where is my thunder?
1: Where's your, th- where's your thunder, Chris?
2: I just think everybody deserves thunder and some people don't get as much thunder as other people whereas the thunder should be equally distributed anyway Gene if you want to box me up some thunder and send it this way I'm more than willing I guess I wouldn't be stealing it
1: though now you just sound like
2: you're falling asleep now you you just just sound like you're nodding off
1: there's your uh, like ASMR of me mouth breathing into my microphone? You're welcome.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 they're lining up to thank you for that.
1: I don't know why people are friends with me. <laughs> <laughs> the I don't plot. know why.
2: Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do shit like that. That's, I don't fucking that's, know.
2: That's a, that's what I say to my that's what I say to myself every night before I go to sleep with my thumb in my mouth and a big smile on my face.
1: <laughs> Why are people friends with me because I do shit like that. <laughs> That's what you say to yourself.
2: <laughs> That's what you have to say to yourself.
1: <laughs> oh anyway, you can find me at J Guys and Jedi on Twitter. That is our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope Mon- Molina- what's my last name? Hope Monax on Twitter. Oh it's raining. Hello rain. Um, And uh, that's where I post all the cool things I do, like writing, because I write for Dorkside the Forest and the Geeky Waffle and Wealth of Geeks. And, yeah, also check out some of the cool stuff I do on the Geeky Waffle YouTube. That would be great. But also, if you want to see some really cool stuff that I do for a project that I'm super-duper proud of, you should check out For Light and Dice. Gene has, and so has Aaron Henley. And I know Charles has, because he's in it. So join all these cool people because it is a Star Wars tabletop podcast. We're really rolling dice, and we're having a really good time, and you should go check it out and tell your friends. And if you have listened to it, tell your friends again. And you know what? Peer pressure them. And if they're still not doing it, badger them. Send them a real badger. Just give them a badger. It'll be and hot. if that
2: doesn't work, honey badger them.
1: Honey badger them to death. Either way, you just need to learn how to, learn to, go, <laughs> learn how to go listen to For Light and Dice. And we've been recording for three hours. So, you know, send your friends Badgers. Get them to listen to the gay podcast like Brian soon. Yeah. Good night. Oh, no. no come back next week. Where we're listening to Nobody's Listening.
2: Nobody is listening. Actually, anymore. this
1: is a rare um, thing, a rare, rare title that actually has an expl- explanation, an exclamation point in it. Ooh. Yeah. I so remember
2: that. The show notes it's Rare. not nobody's
1: listening it's nobody's listening i can't yell because everybody's asleep right now cause it's over <laughs> because it's
2: because they'd all be listening yeah
1: yeah 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 so.
2: well hopefully you'll be listening next week
1: i hope you guys are listening too so yeah all right everybody good night goodbye good, good bye. Night. day Bye. bye,
2: bye.
0: Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled
2: T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Two True Freaks.
1: One lesson an announcer learns is to make sure he is
0: off the air before he makes any private comments. But even the greatest sometimes slip.